You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my pod, podcasting, podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Gerard. This is another late night edition of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Uh, as far as I can tell, this will be our final late night Composite Two Star Recruits for the foreseeable future. We'll be back on a daylight schedule moving forward. Are you disappointed about that or do you like the late night action? I'm a little disappointed just because okay. it's been okay. 106 out here in the IE almost every day. Sure. And I do not look forward to an afternoon podcast in the garage to get away from my nephews and my niece. My youngest nephew is one years old. He is mobile. So it is out of the question to do any type of podcast or video recordings in the house. Uh, the house is off limits when it comes to quiet and focused during the day for the most part. So yeah, I don't look forward to sweating, but Hey man, you know, I could use a little sauna action and uh, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be ready. I'll be all lathered up, ready to go for the podcast even more than I am now when it's cooler and air conditioned. A former Clay Heltonism work that lathering, get them lathered up. That's another one I have. We're prancing. We're prancing. Actually, do you feel like it's your fault, though, with the heat wave because there's this big hurricane off the coast of Mexico coming up Southern California? Hurricane K, I believe. Do you know? Do you know Hurricane K? Hurricane Martinez? We're supposed to get rain Friday and maybe Saturday this week, which is kind of hard to even fathom considering how hot it's been the last two weeks. But um, no, I, I, I take no responsibility whatsoever for any of this. I don't know. It seems too much of a coincidence. No, in fact, I mean, I could take responsibility for it cooling down because it's supposed to be like upper 80s, I think, once that system moves over. So, yes, you're, you're very welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for the break in this ridiculous Scottsdale heat wave that we're having right now. Well, let's move off heat waves and get into a jam-packed uh, composite two-star recruits. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, perfect timing for our show because we do have a, you know, kind of a big decommitment that hit the 2023 class. We got a re a possible reclassification. We got a full list of Friday night lights roundup. A lot of things happened last Friday. We saw a bunch of players. Uh, we're going to get your thoughts on USC rice, Gerard. I know like people like to get your, your football takes on actual football being played. USC did, uh, win their season opener in case you were living under a rock and did not see that. We're going to talk a little bit about other Pac-12 programs. You know, th- those do have impact on USC's recruiting. We're going to talk about the high school football schedule for this week. We've got some questions. So much to talk about. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to thank the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, the one of the top Southern California real estate agents uh, in California. If, you're, if you've been living under a rock as well, she's our official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales. 
more than 205 star Zillow reviews. You know, Meredith has represented some big time names like Jeannie Buss, but she's also working with, you know, recent college graduates. So she runs the full gambit, recently named one of the top 1.5% of agents in the country. And that's from the Wall Street Journal. That's not some random publication you've never heard of. That's from the Wall Street Journal. Meredith is backed by a full service team that allows her to service this wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She also has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can also follow her on Instagram at Meredith Real Estate to check out what listing she's got up and just see what's going on uh, with her page there. Again, thank you so much to Meredith Schlosser and her team for being the official sponsor of the podcast. And, you know, go check her out if you're looking to buy a house, looking to sell your house. She's legit. Five-star realtor sponsoring a two-star podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Meredith. Now, Gerard, we have been fruitful in talking in our cold open the last several weeks about commitments for the 2023 class. But today... Around, I don't know, 4 o'clock, 3.30, I was out of practice. Four-star safety, former USC commit, that's how I have to address him now, decided to back off his commitment to the Trojans. Posted a, a little post on Twitter. That's how these kids do it these days. Braxton Myers, six foot one, 185-pound safety out of Coppell, Texas, number 144 in the in the in the 24-7 sports rankings, excuse me, number nine safety, number 184 in the composite two-star, the composite, the 24-7 sports composite. I'm all jumbled <laughs> up here. I'm all jumbled up. Too much the composite, composite two-star rankings. Yeah, hey, composite two-star rankings. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, we, we should get some going with that. We should brand that. Uh, number 12 safety in the composite for 24-7 sports. One of the early kind of commitments for Lincoln Riley, I believe he was commitment number seven. Uh, for Lincoln Riley and that staff committed back in May, you know, was a very popular guy in the class. He was a he was a big time recruiter, not as big as Zachariah Branch and maybe Malachi Nelson, but he was out there hustling, hitting up kids, recruiting. You know, he's part of that big official visit weekend. You saw him in all those pictures, you know, getting in other uh, prospects ears. So he was a recruiter for this class and, and a vocal part of it. Uh, we talked about him previously on this podcast several weeks ago about, you know, some smoke with Ole Miss. And here we are with a decommitment uh, for the class. Actually, this is what I would consider the first decommitment for Lincoln Riley. I'm not counting those ones for the class. He took over from Clay Helton and interim head coach Dante uh, Williams. So this is the first player to commit to Lincoln Riley and then back off their commitment to Lincoln Riley while he's been at USC. So a noteworthy, the first one. Uh, Gerard, can I get your reaction? Because you were the kind of point man for Braxton Myers during his recruitment. Yeah, Braxton Myers really spoke what USC wanted to get across message-wise to their out-of-state recruits. He really bought in to the, I have faith in the turnaround. I really like what they're doing at USC. And I feel as though this is something that I want to buy into early on. And I know that a lot of other guys, when they go to their visit, 
And he was a part of that big June 17th official visit weekend, the golden hour. Those kids that haven't been there before and really seen it up close, they are going to see it and it's going to hit them like it's hit me and they're going to want to be Trojans. So we had heard, you know, he'd taken an unofficial visit to Ole Miss and there was all this talk like maybe he was wavering. Uh, Steve Wiltfong and Greg Biggins both put in predictions to Ole Miss. They still have predictions right now that Braxton Myers will actually end up at Ole Miss. But between that point and to the start of the season, Braxton had kind of calmed those rumors down a little bit behind the scenes. And it seemed like he was, again, buying into his original decision to commit. So it's not a huge surprise, but somewhat a surprise that Mm -hmm. he has decided to decommit. So this was, you know, a pretty big fish for USC to get early in the process. Uh, He unofficially visited USC twice before actually coming out for his official visit. So he commits in May. He's already committed. He goes to that official visit weekend. And I will say that, you know, he enjoyed that weekend. He talked to various players, but that was also a weekend where they had some other defensive backs uh, on the visit. And remember, Malachi Crawford actually canceled his official visit for that weekend. And Malachi Crawford still hasn't officially visited USC, but he did end up committing despite canceling that visit. And there was some interesting sort of chatter there with the defensive back class. And so I think with this decommitment, people are going to want to know, is this USC backing off on Braxton Myers? It's always the question mark. Right. I don't think so. I think even with the targets that they have right now uh, and, and really focusing specifically on Red Oak, Texas, four-star safety, Warren Roberson, because they were recruited basically for the exact same position. And I remember talking to Braxton a little bit about Warren Roberson and, and them hanging out a little bit. and was like, yeah, you know, I talked with him and everything. And we chopped it up. Um, didn't seem like, you know, there was like this real great friendship or anything that was produced from that golden hour visit. But then I talked to Warren and he basically said the same thing in terms of USC's vision. Their plan for him was exactly what they had for Braxton Myers. It was, you know, nickel corner, nickel safety, boundary corner, and they are roughly about the same size. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit interesting as we kind of wait to see Warren Roberson and what happens with him. He was going to potentially make a commitment uh, a few weeks ago, and he backed off of that and he put out a top five. And we can talk about that a little bit later, just getting into him as a prospect and a target that USC is continuing to recruit. But I do think when we start talking about class impact, uh, there's that bigger picture that you do have to keep in mind. And you wonder with all of these players that they have, they don't have a lot of pure corners. You know, Malachi Crawford commits and he's 6'4", 190 pounds. Um, He can play corner and probably is more of a corner prospect than Braxton Myers or Warren Roberson, to be perfectly honest. But nevertheless, still a guy that with his size is a bit of a tweener, a good coverage player, but definitely with his size, a guy you could see moving over and being uh, maybe somebody that you want to work in the nickel slot a little more if you see tight ends coming out and playing in that wide position and you have somebody taller with more length there that can match up with them. I think it's interesting because now just looking at the overall class, the defensive back class is down to two, Malachi Crawford and Christian Pierce. 
who you, we, you have seen multiple times this season. But in all, looking at the board, I don't think, like wide receiver, USC or USC fans are really concerned about defensive back recruiting because, as we have mentioned so many times on this podcast, Dante Williams, this is almost an unofficial slogan for this podcast, but Dante Williams is always going to have options at the ready for his defensive back class and Alice Grinch to an extent because they kind of work hand in hand. But Dante Williams has obviously cultivated a lot of targets for this class. Warren Roberson being, you know, a guy that we feel USC is in a really good position for, even though, you know, Texas has recently entered the picture with him. He recently picked up a scholarship offer from the home state Longhorns, which, you know, puts an interesting little wrinkle into his recruitment moving forward. But I would say right now we still probably feel confident with the Trojans and Warren Roberson. But you have to remember there's other targets out there that USC has on their defensive backboard being, you know, Roderick Pleasant, who was at the game on Saturday to see the Lincoln Riley opener. He's kind of that pure cornerback. But from what I've seen for the last couple couple times I've seen him, you know, he's been playing a little bit more nickel. So he's also a guy who has that versatility. And can't forget over at Long Beach Poly, where USC has two commitments already for the 2024 class, is Dalen Austin, LSU commit, who we think, you know, USC would have a pretty good chance at staying with and maybe playing for a flip if they push down the line. Because as we know, we've talked about Dalen seems to be kind of committed, yes, but also kind of wide open with the recruiting process, uh, process despite being committed to the Tigers, who took a week one L. Uh, to Florida State, but there are options out there for USC, so I don't think USC fans need to be particularly worried about this uh, decommitment here, but there are some some targets that USC is now circling for the for the defensive back class now that Myers is off the board for them. Yeah, Dante Williams, as we've said many times, he cultivates good options, so you always feel like, you know, if there's one door that closes – Dante Williams seems to find another door where he can get his foot in there and kind of pry it open. So I think with Roberson going back to him as a target, because obviously he's closer probably to making an announcement and a commitment than any of these other targets. It is interesting that Texas offers a lot of people that just want to believe Hey, Warren Roberson silent commitment to USC is a lot to USC. Doesn't matter too late. But I know because I've talked to Roberson a few times here in the last month or so that there is a little bit of back and forth. And it's even in terms of making a commitment now. I think first and foremost, he was torn about making a commitment over the summer because the majority of the scholarship offers, the bigger scholarship offers, came at the back end of the May evaluation period. So he was starting to really feel like he was heating up stock-wise. And he wanted to get more scholarship offers. The only school he ends up visiting over the summer is USC. So he's got Oklahoma State there. He's got Florida that comes in. He's got Missouri recruiting him hard. And so his coaches there at Red Oak really want him to focus on his senior season. And he does too. But there is a little bit of that, man, you know, I feel like I could get more offers. And I feel like I could take more visits. And we've had that conversation about, well, Could you maybe make a commitment over the summer and still take some official visits? And he's pondered that as well. So, you know, with Roberson, you have Texas come in and it is later in the game. 
But at the same time, I know that he would like to play in front of his family. Um, I think his mom has a little bit of hesitation with USC. And so I don't completely dismiss that offer. And certainly down the road, you never know what's going to happen. Texas, they're going to play against Alabama this weekend. And most people feel like Texas is probably going to get blown out of the water. But maybe they don't. And if they're pushing hard enough as a local school, you know, Texas has been pretty recruit, good recruiting. They've got a good NIL package that they've been offering kids. Um, and they've got a little bit of momentum on the recruiting trail. So I'm not so dismissive of that Texas scholarship offer. So I think, you know, Roberson, yes, I would still bet on USC. Uh, if I still had uh, stock in the crystal ball game, it would still be for USC. But I don't necessarily call him a lock at this point. As you said, with Dalen Austin, I think with Dalen, he's still sort of ESPN brainwashed that the SEC is where all the big boys play. That's where you play if you want to go to the NFL. And listen, you know, the SEC has been dominant in college football playoff. And that's what a lot of these kids out West have seen. And that's what they know. And that's what they talk about. So it's like, hey, if you want to be one of the best, you've got to go to the SEC. And so he's still got that mental picture. LSU could have a really rough season this year. We don't know uh, how good Florida State is, but the thought is Florida State isn't really that good. And LSU uh, struggled to stay in that game. I mean, without Jaden Daniels, they they probably lose that game uh, by two touchdowns. So, yeah, that could be a rough patch for them. And, 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 you know, you could see Dalen Austin, whose uncle is Willie McGinnis, opening up the process and maybe taking a couple unofficial visits to USC. To our knowledge, he was not at the opener at USC. Did not see him there. Did not see him. In the future, potentially, he gets down to campus and he takes in the game. You know, and if USC's rolling, USC's got to do their part in the field. We always say that. Uh, You could definitely see him maybe flipping. And he is more of a pure corner. He's got some length and he's a little taller, but definitely more of a pure corner. And as you said, Roger. Uh, Pleasant, certainly a a pure corner, even if you're moving him down into the nickel, you're moving him down over the slot because you're probably going to have to see one of those guys like Jason Robinson or a really smaller slot that's got a lot of speed. And, you know, who are you going to put that defensive back out there on the field against that type of player? It's going to be Roderick Pleasant, Mr. 10-1. So I I could definitely see him moving around from that respect, trying to take those guys that are really quick, really fast in space and trying to lock him down, uh, lock those players down with uh, Roderick Pleasant. So I, I, yeah, there's definitely targets there. There's definitely options there that USC can have. Um, you know, Jason Frosto Ramos was also at the game and he's committed already. So he's still Stanford. hanging around USC a little bit, you know, checking out USC, USC probably still looking at his state. They're obviously still in communication with him. Um, there's, you know, quite a few players that could jump into the mix. We talked a little bit about Dijon Johnson uh, the Tampa Bay four-star uh, recruit that's from the high school that Mike Williams is actually coaching. Uh, I think it's Wharton High School out there in Tampa, Florida, who was an early-on guy that USC was pushing for and committed early to Ohio State, backed off that commitment to Ohio State. A lot of people think he's going to end up in state, maybe Miami. I think he took an unofficial visit to Florida this past weekend, and there's a lot of talk that he ends up at Florida. But I could still see him taking an official visit to USC. We definitely get caught up in the early process, late spring and in the summer, like signing days in September, but it's not. And so there are things that can change and can flip. And certainly with the season and how these teams play and how attractive the football they play is, it's going to make an impact on the recruiting process. I'm Mr. 10K. So is uh, Roderick Mr. 10-1, like you said? 
he's one. I mean, he might be Mister Sub Ten. You know, okay. by the time he gets out of high okay. school, like I don't know if I would uh, necessarily cap him on. Uh, he shouldn't get a tattoo. Is that what you're saying? He shouldn't get a ten. If I, if I if I were him, I would not get a tattoo with any type of time. Uh, okay. Because he he could end up having. I mean, that would be an interesting thing though if you got a bunch of different smaller tattoos on the back of your calf that had all your PRs uh, all the way down. That would be pretty oh, interesting. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, that that, that, that interesting. is interesting. If Roderick's listening, think about it. Think about it a little bit. Uh, before we kind of move out of the cold open and this decommitment talk, we did have a question that we got on Twitter uh, in the aftermath of this from David E. He actually sent me two questions, but I'm breaking them up because this one is relevant to the discussion we're having here. The other one will be later down in the show. But with Braxton out, does this kill any chance of the defensive lineman Marcus Deal? I believe those two are friends. Now, I wouldn't say it kills any chance, but I would say it certainly doesn't help, especially when you have a friend. But Marcus and Braxton could be good friends, but you see this all the time where that isn't really, in the end, uh, navigate where one, where another one goes or you know what I'm saying like it doesn't necessarily it's not a deal breaker um, but you know it, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't uh, doesn't kill it but I certainly say it wouldn't help them at all to not have one of his friends on the on the in the class yeah I don't think there's a package deal there there's very right. very few package deals that work out. In no such thing as a true package deal in recruiting. Well, I mean, you do have instances where you have Zion Branch and Zach Branch, and you kind of really wonder, like, those are blood. Those... those are blood, Gerard. Well, that's still a package deal. Nevertheless, sure. it doesn't matter if you're packaging blood or you're packaging water. It's still wrapped up <laughs> in a pretty bow. You also have Nelson, and you have Makai, and so Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon. That's a package deal that a lot of people think that. You know, if Nelson was going to decommit from USC, then Lemon would be right behind him. And if Malcolm uh, or Malachi stays committed to USC, then Makai stays committed to USC. So, and, and I would kind of go along with that. I, I think from what I've seen and what I've heard, I would not expect those two to go to different schools. So there are some, but then there's many others that we hear. I mean, we will remember Mason Smith and Corey Foreman. There's been somewhere, you know, you have kids that are talking like this is going to happen for sure, for sure. And it doesn't happen. So yeah, in this case, uh, I've never really talked to Braxton about Marcus deals and, and them going to the same school. I know they talk. I know quite a few of the Texas guys talk um, to some extent. I know, you know, I was talking to Braxton Myers when he came out for the spring game and we were talking about the two Texas uh, running backs that had already committed to USC. Marion Peterson actually committed to USC excuse me, during that weekend, and Braxton Myers didn't even know who he was. So, you know, it's like just because they're from Texas. Texas is a big state. Texas is a big state. It's a big state. Yeah, it's a big state. Now, they did uh, more recently create a group chat, and Christian Pierce was talking about the group chat, this, that, and the other. I haven't talked to Christian Pierce um, about Braxton Myers or or anything recently about that group chat. It's obviously something where you kind of have to – do your investigation and kind of see is this a little prelude to, you know, a little a little shakeup in the class? Is there, you know, maybe other things going on? Or is this just a one-off where Braxton Myers just felt like 
you know, he was going to be maybe a more unique part of somebody else's class. As we said before, um, it was at some point during the summer where there was a lot of talk that Ole Miss made a great impression on him. And, you know, something that we talked about with the Louisville commits, talking about how one man's three-star might be another man's four-star. One man's four-star might be another man's five-star, whereas, you know, Louisville has some NIL deals for guys that might be mid-board for USC, but for Louisville, man, those are the top guys. You know, those Mm -hmm. are the guys at the very, very top. And so they may go in with NIL deals and things for those guys, which are just not as attractive as maybe something that USC has. Um, That's going to be an interesting part of recruiting. Does it create more parity when you have those schools that are more mid-level that are willing to go aggressively after some guys and say, listen, you're the top of our board and this is how we're going to show you that you're at the top of our board. Why would you go to this other school when, you know, you're just like the third or fourth guy uh, at that position for them. And certainly that's already existed in terms of playing time and depth charts. There's always schools that are like, hey, why would you want to go there? Um, they've already got two other guys committed there. But then you're also sort of playing towards how competitive a kid is. And the kid may take that the wrong way and say, well, shoot, I don't care if I'm, you know, a three star and those other two guys are four stars. I think I'm better than them. But when you're talking about NIL, that's a different deal. Now you're talking about monetary value and you might be able to sell them something uh, as a as a you know mid four star type guy that's maybe it's not on par with the five star guy, but it's better than what that school that also signs a five star guy is willing to give out. Very quickly, because I'm hijacking the the conversation here, any memorable package deals in recruiting that you have covered for USC? True package deals. Gosh, man, off the top of my head, no. I, for whatever reason, the Mason Smith, Corey Foreman thing really came to mind because that was during COVID. And I think Corey Foreman at some point made some type of comment like there's a 1% chance that we don't end up together, I think is what he said. And I was like, wait, 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 don't end up together or do end up together? Because that was a weird way of saying it. And he says, no, I think that we don't end up at the same school. It's like a 1% chance. So I was like, wow, okay, that's a heck of a statement. Sounds like you're both going to LSU. And obviously that didn't work out. So, I mean, that that comes to mind. A lot of them are really sort of, you hear it and you kind of dismiss it because you know over the years that so many of them fall apart, very few of them work. And most of the time, if they do work, it's because both those kids are going to the same school. They've grown up together. There's something very pronounced about that relationship, why they would want to go to the same school. Unfortunately, Mason Smith did tear his ACL, I believe, in that Florida State uh, loss, celebrating, actually. So unfortunate for him. Hope he has a quick recovery uh, because he was playing really well before that happened. Uh, Gerard, ready for some Friday Night Lights? I am. I'm always ready for Friday Night Lights, whether think, it's past or future Friday Night Lights. Well, there you go. I think I should go first because I had just one sole player to kind of focus on. You, Shotgun was at your game as well, had a whole litany of people to, to focus on. So why don't you uh, lead in for me and then I'll lead in for you? No idea what that actually means, but I know you went to Red Mountain Right. Uh, versus modern day prep down to San Diego, part of the Honor Bowl, and you were there to see Jacoby Lane, USC's newest wide receiver commit. Absolutely. Uh, at Cathedral or Catholic Cathedral in San Diego. Have you ever been on that campus? Yes. It is 
one of the most gorgeous high school campuses I've ever been on. That area just in general, all those schools kind of look like that. It's very pretty. It's very, uh, I mean, it feels like you're kind of out there in, in this this uh, very natural environment and everything. You feel like you're way, way away from the city, but you're really not. I mean, it's all suburbs around there, but yeah, it's very tranquil. Yeah, I was walking on campus and I like 10 seconds of walking on campus, I totally forgot I was on a high school. That's how nice it was. It legitimately looked like, like Pepperdine or something. It was so nice. So fancy, but this was a weird kind of game. This was a four o'clock kickoff. Red Mountain coming all the way from Arizona, obviously, to play uh, modern, th- modern Day. Not that modern day, but modern day out in San Diego. Uh, that that modern day team was not at full strength. They had some of their top guys out. Uh, UCLA commit linebacker prospect uh, Trey Edwards. He was out with an injury. One of their top corners was out. But Jacoby Lane was the guy I was there to see. And... He just jumps out, you know, six foot four, borderline looking like six foot five. Uh, I was hoping for sort of a big game for him to watch. And obviously he's a guy who can put up big numbers and make some fantastic catches. But it wasn't a very busy day for him. And that's not on him. You know, I've had people ask me, oh, how did Jacoby Lane look? I say he looked okay, but it wasn't the basis of how he played. It's just that he wasn't getting a lot of looks. Uh against uh, modern day they were double covering him they were bracketing him so it was hard to kind of get him the ball they would try to move him around you know set him on uh sweeps across the back to get him to that single coverage and i believe he only had about four targets three catches three short catches they were he was a decoy on some plays just to clear out the defense and kind of just uh he did draw one big pi down the field late in the game But this was a game that Red Mountain was just up early, and they were just kind of pounding them, got a big kickoff return for a touchdown out of halftime. So they were just kind of rolling with that run game. But couldn't really send Jacoby deep. The quarterback wasn't that great, Gerard. Uh, He didn't have a lot of time also uh, to kind of sit back and, you know, take a deep shot with Jacoby. So didn't really see a lot of deep plays kind of develop for, for number 89 lane. But one thing I did like is, you know, we kind of talked about him a little bit in terms of, you know, not that kind of Drake London physicality. But there were on a couple of his catches where he got the ball, maybe made that first defender miss, and he was squaring up with a second defender, and he would lower his helmet and his shoulder into this dude. He did it about three times uh, whenever he got kind of those short passes. So that was something I, I, I liked seeing, just him being physical kind of squaring up and just, you know, playing some football, you know, some hard-hitting football. And I talked to him after the game, really nice kid, really personable. You can tell he he kind of likes the attention, uh, likes uh, likes being a little bit, you know, not loud, but he likes being, he likes being noticeable uh, out there on the sideline, cracking jokes. You know, there were a couple times he got into it with a defender who was trash-talking him. One of those guys... Uh, but overall, I, I liked what I saw in terms of just just his size, legit six foot four, six foot five, physical, and just looked like a specimen out there. I just wish I got to see that a little bit more on display. Uh, but I'm sure some of our guys out there in Arizona will get to see him make many more plays uh, out in his uh, out in his league play out there in uh, the AZ. The question is, did you get the ISO film? I did. 
I did get the ISO film. That should so be up tomorrow. To we get to see it for ourselves. That's always the point. We want to make sure that you know we're going to have our opinions, we're going to have our evaluations, our analysis, but we always want to convey it to the people so you at home can be a recruiting analyst. And he also just forgot to mention this. He also played a lot of cornerback in the uh, the second half. Yeah, they just threw him out there to play cornerback, which was kind of an interesting sight. You don't see a lot of six foot five, six foot four uh, cornerbacks out there. Uh, shout Unless out to Malachi, Malachi Crawford. Crawford. Unless you're Malachi <laughs> Crawford, but Malachi Crawford is sort of like big, uh, big, long and lanky. Jacoby Lane is a little bit more thicker than him, so it, it does look kind of funny. It, it, watching from far away, it's kind of like, why is that edge rusher playing cornerback out there? Well, that's good because, I mean, that's the one question in terms of build-wise, you know, how slight he is and whether he's able to, as a possession receiver, be physical, you know, and that's good to hear. And it's good to hear that he's playing both sides of the ball. I mean, I think yeah. going back to, you know, Braxton Myers' decommitment and, and Myers versus Roberson, if you're looking at those two players where they have similar builds and what have you, you know, Roberson plays everywhere. He is yeah. that guy for that high school football team. You know, he's going to play receiver. He's going to play wildcat quarterback. He's going to play cornerback. He's going to play safety. They're going to put him wherever they have to put him to try to win football games. And sometimes we see a lot of nowadays with these sort of 3-3 stack defenses and these hybrid defenses where they're using a lot of nickel packages where at the high school level, they'll do what they did with Jalen Smith and they'll put him up at linebacker and they'll actually have him play linebacker. And so it's good to see – a player utilized that way where the coaching staff knows that he's that good and they use him all over the field because it does develop, I think a bit more awareness and football IQ when they get to the college level, because they've seen it on both sides of the ball. I'm not a big fan of the kid who's only played cornerback in high school because a, how many balls are you seeing thrown your way? The minute you end up in a recruiting database, those opposing high school coaches are going, okay, we're not going to throw the ball that way. And that's it. I mean, you're just, you're just standing out there the whole night. You, you might have a tackle here and there and run support. So I like to see players that are moved around and are utilized in different ways. You get to see different types of athleticism. And I think it also prepares them for the next level uh, when they can just focus on one particular position. And just in terms of, you know, a little bit of recruiting, I will say Jacoby Lane is recruiting Deuce Robinson pretty heavily for the Trojans. They actually go way back. They're they're close friends. Obviously, they're both out of Arizona. So that's a guy he is uh, working on hard uh, for the 2023 class. There's multiple people going after Deuce. So that's just another bonus recruiter uh, for the Trojans. And I'll have more on that uh, later in the week. But Jacoby Lane. Well, that's, a, that's a good segue into talking about. Mr. Deuce Robinson. Well, there we go. Because, yeah, there was another uh, AZ versus kind of San Diego matchup for that honorable. And we had our boy Jared Perez. Shout out to Jared. Shout out to Jared. Haven't made him gone cross country yet, but he would. He would (laughs) if we told him. He only interviews five stars. That's basically what he told us. He says, you know, I'll I'll write for you guys. I'll do video for you guys. But uh, I'm only going to the five star games. You know, that's just how I roll. So we sent him down there to Oceanside, where El Camino hosted Pinnacle High School. El Camino, not really sure the connection there because it's not part of the Honorable, as far as I know. That was just, you know, Pinnacle going out to Oceanside to play El Camino. And it was funny because I was 
editing and kind of looking at Jared's film, which was good. And it's uh, already up on the site. You can check it out. ISO film of Deuce Robinson, five star, number one tight end in the nation. And uh, it, man, I had a flashback because I forgot that we had played in this passing tournament when I was in high school down there at El Camino High School. And I looked at that stadium and I was like, God, it looks so familiar. Why am I having this weird feeling of, I don't know, it wasn't deja vu, but it was like heavy nostalgia. And it, and it right. hit me that we were down there for like uh, like two or three days playing in this big passing tournament. Um, they had seven think, on seven back then, Jared? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a, it wasn't an all-star seven on seven. It wasn't a, you know, B2G, ground zero, premium sports type fast Houston um, seven on seven. It was just high school football teams. And uh, we played a bunch of those teams. We played a bunch of teams from Arizona, played a bunch of teams from San Diego. And um, I remember getting burned on that field against Coronado High School. And they had this uh, this tight end who was a big kid. He was probably like 6'3". And he had wheels. And he beat me on a wheel route. And I bit a little too hard on the flat. And he got north and south on me. And I, and I man, I just felt the ball. Oh, the fingertips. And it was a great throw over the shoulder. And I, and I just had these flashbacks of like, holy crap, that's what I remember being down there and Oceanside at El Camino High School. And so we got to see Deuce Robinson do his thing. And uh, Deuce Robinson uh, had a little more success than uh, Gerard Martinez did on that field. Uh, he had two touchdowns in the first half. I think he had like three touchdowns and maybe one of them was called uh, offensive pass interference, even though it didn't look like it. I wasn't necessarily sure. Um, I was just kind of looking over at the film, but there was a flag at the end of the play. And I think the defensive back was pleading, pleading to the referee, please miss the referee. I'm playing against this 6'6", 240-pound <laughs> dude, and I'm 5'9". Uh, give me a break. And uh, so Deuce looked really good in that game. Um, definitely like a pro-style tight end. Uh, he played a lot on the edge. He actually even played a little wildcat quarterback. There's a snap there where he runs the ball. Uh, I believe uh, playing quarterback. So you you did get to see his athleticism in open field, uh, big body controls the ball, uh, definite definite weapon uh, for whoever's able to nab his commitment here this year. And we obviously know that USC is very high in his list. He still wants to visit Alabama, still wants to visit Georgia. Uh, Texas may get in the mix because he does have a relationship uh, with your boy. Uh, Mr. Uh, what, what, what was his name? I, I forget his name. The number one player in the world. What What's his name? I'm blanking who you're referring to right now. <laughs> I hope you're kidding. Arch Manning. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. The man, the okay. myth, the legend, uh, the captain of the fighting flat earthers. Which uh, reminds me, I got to look up their, their opening stats. In Louisiana. Hey, he's going to see our boy, or really our boy, uh, Mr. Tackett Curtis here. In the legend of Tackett Curtis, who we're going to yeah, talk man. about in a little bit here. My favorite segment yeah. of the entire show. He is, uh, he's going to, to meet our boy. It's going to be uh, an immovable object uh, versus uh, the flat earth. Um, so anyways, uh, we, uh, we, we, we got to uh, see uh, that game you know, with Pinnacle versus El Camino. Pinnacle wins that game. Um, and then we also got to see, as you alluded to, uh, Modern Day versus Centennial. Uh, shotgun Spratling. Got to come down uh, back in his, town from his East Coast nest. He's out there in Jersey these days and um, building his own little mafia, his own little soprano family. But he comes out and does a cameo for us uh, at uh, Modern Day Centennial. It was uh, you know probably about ninety six degrees at kickoff, and uh, we got to see uh, the Monarchs 
uh, play against the Huskies. Monarchs coming off of a national game where they beat uh, Bishop Gorman and came from behind 24-21. And this game, it was a little more dominant. You know, they looked like, you know, they were going to be able to really just play big boy football and kind of keep that away from Otter Day, or excuse me, Centennial. And that's, that's how it went. You know, Centennial's got some players. They're a good team. Uh, but modern day was just going to play keep away from them and, and really get down the field. Um, Marcus Brown and Eliza Brown hooked up for two touchdowns. Marcus Brown, a 2024 wide receiver, I believe, uh, not a guy really on the radar very much. So that was a really big game for him. Uh, Elijah Brown looked very good in that game, very composed as usual. Um, the running game was good for modern day. It was a little sort of they got the yards when they needed the yards. Didn't have a lot of big runs from Jordan Davidson, but, you know, when they needed that third and three or third and four and needed to run the ball, uh, they mostly were able to get it. Um, we talked to DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker, Nasir Wyatt, uh, Jelani Davis. Uh, it was a bit of a scramble because, like you Stacked. said, there's Stacked. so many guys on that team. Uh, really the whole secondary, you know, USC has offered scholarships too. So we were scrambling around trying to get uh, as many quotes as possible. But from an evaluation standpoint, you know, watching the modern day line, which looks like uh, a division three line. Um, and, and you could say it was a division one line, uh, but that would be hyperbola. It was it's a little bit more like a division three line, but some big boys and uh, led by DeAndre Carter, uh, who's about six, four, uh, three, 30 um, looks definitely a little more interiorish. And I think that's where we have him ranked right now with 24, seven sports. Um, he is a high four star, uh, but he's a guy that plays left tackle for modern day. And I think a lot of that has to do with them running behind him on that left side and they do that well. Uh, but I think, you know, down the line, he's going to be interior guy and he would be a very dominant interior player because he's just big and he does move well um, for a guy that size. And the opposite side of him is Brandon Baker. He's actually playing right tackle. I think he could end up getting away with playing right tackle in college, but also maybe a higher ceiling on the interior as well. A little longer arms built a little differently than DeAndre. Um, but uh, maybe a guy that I think in terms of strengths athletically would be better on the interior. And those would be okay. two guys that you would have if you were able to get them both at the same school, which would make up a potential NFL offensive line. Like that's, that's you know, the, the, the building blocks of USC getting to a dominant sort of run game once again. And we, you know, everybody talks about Lincoln Riley and the passing and everything like that. But I think um, if USC is going to take this next step, if Lincoln Riley is going to take this next step, because Lincoln Riley got Oklahoma to the college football playoff, but he didn't win many games. I don't know if Oklahoma won any games actually in the college football playoff. I'm not 100% no, sure about they that. Did not. They, they did not. not. You want to take that next step. The next step is being truly elite and getting in a national championship game and winning one of those games. It's it comes from how you play in the trenches and how you run and how you stop the run, especially. Uh, and certainly, like I said, I think having those two guys local, you got to try to lock them up. And that would be a great foundation for them trying to get back to having uh, a real dominant run game. I think both of those players would do that. Um, maybe the most exciting player uh, watching them, and, and this includes, Elijah Brown and Jordan Davidson and some of the other skill players they have is Nasir Wyatt, who's 2025. He's a sophomore. He's 6'2", 210 pounds, plays the edge, plays that like that venerable position that David Bailey played at modern day, uh, that uh, Rashad Davis played 
at modern day. Even you can go back to Matt Grudegood when he was at modern day playing that outside linebacker position. He played it a little differently than they play it now, but he's a guy that's kind of an edge rusher that I think at the next level is maybe more of a traditional linebacker because he's not 6'4", 6'5", and I think if you're going to be one of those true edge rushers, most of those guys are a little bigger, a little longer, but he's 100% uh, quick twitch, agile, great bend, uh, made a lot of plays on defense. He forced a fumble, recovered it. Um, I think he had a sack or two. He was very involved in in the game. And moderate, or excuse me, Centennial gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick. They're they're not the type of team that is going to you know pocket passer type of play action game. They either are going to run the ball in misdirection and option, uh, or they're going to get the ball RPO out fast. And so it's hard to make plays on the quarterback against Centennial, and he still made quite a few plays. So I was really impressed with Nasir White. Nasir White's going to be a national guy uh, in football. Um, Also talked to Jelani Davis. It was a very interesting story that I'm actually writing right now. Hopefully it goes up um, here Thursday morning uh, where he's coming off two ACLs and uh, went to USC over the summer, camped, and earned a scholarship offer. And he's uh, playing safety. For modern days, 6'2", 200 pounds, big boy. Very humble, though, through this process with two ACL injuries and the recovery. You know, he's watched a lot of football. He's had to sit there and watch his friends get the accolades and his friends be able to play and go through the recruiting process. He's a 2024 guy, so he's still got a year ahead of him. But now he's back. He's feeling healthy. And um, he's just really excited about the process. And so we talked a little bit about him and USC and him working out at USC and, and camping over the summer and sort of his goals this season for modern day, which, you know, he looks at it as a breakout year for him. Uh, talked to Chuck McDonald as well. We talked to, you know, that Who whole didn't secondary. You talk to? Just yeah, name the guys you didn't talk to on the roster. Zabian Brown, we, we spoke to as well. Um, Coach Rollison's really high on Zabian Brown. Uh, that starting group uh, Friday was Jelani at safety, Xavier uh, Brown at one corner, opposite corner was Darius Dixon, another player that's got a scholarship offer from USC 2025, a cornerback, a really good looking cornerback. Um, Chuck McDonald, who got a scholarship offer from USC over the summer at one of the elite camps, was playing over the corner, so he's playing the nickelback position. So it's it's a stacked future roster for modern day um, and USC on a bunch of those guys. So um, it was, it was a good game. You know, great to see modern day, great to see modern day on the IE, man. Oh, that was so good. It's so good to get him away from that damn Santa Annabelle. Like I, you know, listen, no offense to the Santa Annabelle people. It's a great venue. It's a great venue for high school football, but you know, we just always see modern day there. So it's just great to see them in that type of environment where people were so pumped up in Corona. And a lot of those kids, Chuck McDonald's from Corona. A lot of those guys are 951 guys. So they come from that area. And I mean, the people Corona were just, dude, we got there at like, oh man, what time was it? It was like 530. It was a 730 game. The whole first lot was like full. I mean, it was, there was people just already, man, they were tailgating. They were just so excited, so pumped up out there to see modern day. Um, It kind of, it kind of inspired me to post uh, that uh, maybe, maybe, you know, it's not a popular opinion. USC could go up and, uh, actually play at Fresno State one of these years instead of always Fresno State coming on the Coliseum. I know from a financial standpoint, it probably wouldn't be the best thing because you can put a lot more people in the Coliseum. But, God, the environment up there would be so amazing because, I mean, people up there love their football. Like, that's kind of the end where you, you could go up to the north part of California and there's, like, 
There's a, there's some type of imaginal line there where people just are like, eh, we, we're not about football. We don't care about football. Football's not our thing. And Fresno is like right butted up against it. They love football in Fresno. And so the environment, if USC was ever to go up there and play in the Central Valley, would be insane. Are you saying that's a hot take? That's a, that's a really hot, unpopular okay. take. Okay. I'm going I'm to I'm get the feedback when people hear it on this podcast, all our uh, two-star listeners. Uh, hear that. Gerard, we did have a question specifically about this game, you being at this game that I just moved up to now out of our listener question pool. It comes from D from Central Valley, who always asks two questions, so I'm splitting his questions up. But this one is, uh, Jim, you posted some highlights from the modern day, game, modern day game last week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Elijah Brown has added some miles to his fastball. How would you compare Brown to Miller Moss when Miller was in high school? First of all, let's talk about that segue. What? D from Central Valley, and I went in on the Fresno State hosting USC. Yeah, it's uh, it's all comes it's all connected. (laughs) It all comes together. Um, Thank you for the question, D. I think there's similarities for sure because I think they're both like sort of those you know quarterbacks that manage the game. Um, they're not like crazy over the top fastball type guys with the big arm Dan Marino types. Um, there's definitely a little more, more, more Joe Montana there. Um, I do think, yes, he's definitely improved and he's going to improve. I mean, Elijah Brown's still young. I mean, he's the baby faced assassin as Chris Trevino likes to call him. Um, so he's, he's definitely going to continue to improve and get better. Arm strength is going to improve. Uh, but I think there's definitely more comparisons there with Elijah Brown and Miller Moss than maybe, you know, Elijah Brown and sort of Caleb Williams or Elijah Brown and even Malachi Nelson. Um, so I think there's there's some comparisons there. Miller Moss, again, not a huge arm coming out of high school, a guy that was more accurate, more composed. He was smarter. Um, you know, he'd been through some wars and he was just a good quarterback, saw the field a lot. And you knew when you brought him in, he was going to get your playbook down really quickly. And so I think Elijah's more along those lines um, than, again, you know, the big, like, total, like, over-the-top, big-arm type guy that, you know, some of those guys you've got to sort of coach back a little bit because, you know, they're just used to the high school ball and just slinging it and the ball getting there and nobody being able to defend it. And then you get to the college level and you're, you're dependent on your arm so much and then all of a sudden guys are that much faster and the defenses are that much more ready for your passing. And they've actually, you know, looked at the tape and they're being able to defend uh, you from not just a, a man for man standpoint, but even with uh, different zone looks and what have you. So with sometimes those, those guys that are a little more composed and they play within the system better, um, they have more success. Since we're talking about quarterbacks, I think that's a good segue into USC's 2023 quarterback quarterback commit uh, over at Los Alamitos, Malachi Nelson and his crew of the Griffins. Another tough loss, uh, Gerard, dropping a blowing, sorry, excuse me, a 21-point lead to Basha. Basha, I don't know how to pronounce it, out of uh, Arizona, which is a pretty good program uh, out of there. I think they were 10-1. Last year, we got a really good cornerback in uh, Demon Williams Jr., uh, but they blew a 21-point lead. You know, still no T.A. Cunningham. Uh, Makai Lemon actually got ejected for spinning the ball, spinning the ball, not spitting the ball, spinning the ball after a touchdown. His uh, second unsportsmanlike and uh, uh, sportsmanlike penalty that, uh, you know, two and you're out. So not not a great showing 
uh, for Los Al uh, on Saturday. That was a game that we could not cover because that was uh, during USC's game on Saturday. So, and that's why they were not there at the Coliseum. But just a, another tough loss, and now it's a two-game losing streak for the Griffins. Yeah, you kind of said it. Um, Makai Lemon, however, one-on-one uh, against the the Oregon commit, who is uh, Demetrius Martinson. He is uh, the cornerback coach, actually, at Oregon, and he's been at UCLA. He was actually at USC as a grad assistant for a long time. And so, uh, was he at Arizona, too? Yes. And uh, actually, I remember him back from Mount Sac. So, <laughs> at USC, went to Mount Sac. I was with Dwayne Walker, um, went to UCLA, then bounced over to, to Arizona. Now he's up at um, Oregon, and his son is committed to Oregon. And uh, Makai Lemon was able to, to beat him on a couple touchdowns, uh, but it's looked like one of those touchdowns, game low ball spin, a little bit of in your face type of thing. And uh, they gave him an unsportsmanlike penalty. You get two of those and you get thrown out of the game. Now the odd thing about it is that this week the CIF reinstated him and wiped those clean. I'm not really hundred percent sure what the actual official word was in terms of how those, uh, unsportsmanlike penalties uh, are, are are counted against you going forward. I mean, I thought basically you get thrown out of the game, you get thrown out of the game. And this was, I think, in, in like the first quarter that he actually got thrown out of the game. So at some point they they said that those don't count. I mean, obviously it doesn't really help Los Alamitos very much because Los Alamitos ends up losing the game after going up 21 nothing. And, you know, if they had Makai Lemon, maybe they still win that game. Uh, it looked like he was going to be very difficult for them to stop. And then on top of that, you still don't have T.A. Cunningham right. eligible, which I know is frustrating a lot of people at Los Alamitos. There's been some talk social media-wise. And I understand that. I mean, he came all the way from Georgia. From a hardship standpoint, it's all about, you know, are you actually moving? And I don't know if it's because he didn't move with his actual family and that's the issue because usually when you change addresses and you've actually moved from where you are, um, you get that waiver and you're able to play right away. It's when you don't actually have a change of address and you don't have those utility bills that you can show that you've changed. Uh, that's when they make you sit out those five games. So at this point, you know, I don't know what the official word is from CIF. I know that there's been some pleas from Los Al to CIF, even publicly. I don't know if that's a good idea, but we'll see if anything changes here this week or the next week. I think Los Al's got Servite this week. They should beat Servite handedly uh, with or without T.A. McClendon, or excuse me, T.A. <laughs> Cunningham, T.A. McClendon. See, there is, a, there is another T.A. that came through uh, many years ago, um, but um, T.A. Cunningham, uh, they should uh, not necessarily need him against the Friars, um, but I know everybody wants to see him uh, back on the field, and, and I know he wants to get back on the field. Did you do Malachi's stat line? I did. Uh, 17 to 27 okay. for 189 yards and three scores. So um, he did not throw the ball very much at the end of the game, evidently. Uh, but again, I didn't. I wasn't there, so I don't. I don't want to necessarily, you know, critique uh, what happened in terms of the throws. Uh, but that was the stat line that they had. Uh, could I give you Arch's performance in his opener? Ooh. I don't have official line, uh, but he did throw for three touchdowns, and he ran for 27 yards on six carries. Does not look like he threw an interception. In a 35-14 win over Hanville. Hanville. So, yeah, that was uh, Arch Manning's opening, Gerard. 
Much but better we than the, the Jamboree line I read. The Jamboree line that you try to pass off as his first two opening games. Hey, man, come on. That's not fair. I, I, that's fair. Oh, wait. Here we go. We have uh, eighteen of four, 8 of 14 for 142 yards and three touchdowns and uh, those six rushes. This one has 37 yards. What was the end of the – what was the score? Uh, 35-14. I mean – Sounds like they were pretty dominant, but gosh, I mean that's not a lot of passes considering only fourteen passes, only fourteen passes. Yeah, and only eight complete. That's I mean, listen, plenty of critics out there about him, and certainly I understand. I mean, I agree. I've already stated. I think there should be a policy in terms of not going to camps and not doing it, especially at the quarterback position where it actually can matter. You can actually get some decent evaluation critiques from a player against air. You know, receiver, quarterback, to some extent, defensive backs, although they still have to tackle and there's still some some things that they have to do uh, from a real football standpoint that you can't necessarily evaluate seven on seven. But, yeah, I mean, the quarterback position, you definitely get a lot out of that uh, during the offseason. And if you're not willing to go to any events at all, uh, at least national events, I think he went to like a LSU seven on seven event. I just think that's kind of spitting in the face of the process to some extent and um you know, it's not necessarily a good precedent for the recruiting publications to just go ahead and say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter. We'll rank you a five star number one in the nation anyways. And, hey, we're going to do an all time ranking and you're actually going to be tied for number one in that as well. Ooh, ooh. well, before we go before this podcast spirals into uh, Arch Manning talk, uh, we want to go to Texas for USC running back commit Quinton Joyner who's having a pretty good start to the year on the year. He's got, uh, let me see, 28 carries for 245 yards and six scores, averaging about 122 yards per game and averaging about 8.8 yards per, uh, per carry. He's got one reception for 20 yards and his brother, a sophomore is actually the starting quarterback. So that's a pretty joiner backfield back there. But package deal, uh, package deal, package, package deal, cornerback, quarterback, quarterback. So I don't know, maybe maybe Lincoln Riley already has his uh, uh, quarterback for the uh, is that 2025? Yes. Uh, he's a sophomore, be two, two, yeah, 2025. So maybe the uh, sophomore quarterback already on the board board. God, I cannot pronounce anything these late nights. The but only yeah. guy we're going to offer a scholarship to. No, thank you. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add about Quentin Joyner before we get into my favorite part of Friday Night Lights, which is uh, Mr. Curtis Tackett? Well, uh, the majority of those yards came this past week, and he was playing against uh, pretty low competition. He had 200 yards rushing, four scores, 15.5 yards per carry. So this was uh, easy work for our boy Quentin. Uh, it's going to get harder you know, as the, the, the year uh, progresses, the schedule goes on. But, uh, yeah, he got a little uh, pads. Um, and uh, a little bit of uh, stat padding, I think, in this past game, and um, it'll get harder for him. But uh, good to see him dominating. You know, we want to see, uh, you know, the high school players that are, you know, committed to these big colleges, you expect them to sort of dominate uh, during these games, you know, especially the guys that are higher rated. So um, both of those running backs in Texas have been uh, kind of going up the ranking chart for 24-7 over the offseason. Uh, Quentin started out pretty high, and he's remained pretty high. Uh, and 
Uh, Marion Peterson uh, started out as a three-star, and now he's a four-star, and he's crept up as a four-star. Don't have any stats on him. Uh, he is pretty much um, off the grid <laughs> just for everything. I mean, there's a little bit of action from him on Instagram, but uh, good luck. Uh, trying to contact him or figure out anything that he's doing. I think he's kind of off in the boondocks too, as well, in terms of the high school he plays at. So uh, hard to get a little bit of information on him. And, you know, it's just some of these uh, schools just don't put up stat lines and they just don't put in stats week for week. So it's um, one of those things where you would try to just outline and underline the, the highlights, you know, the, the, the pertinent stats that we see and can report uh, from the committed class. Well, he actually did post his first game stats. He ran for 120 yards and three touchdowns uh, okay. in his uh, his game this past weekend or Friday. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So against okay. Brock High School, so pretty good. Uh, pretty good showings for USC's uh, running back commits. So that would be seven touchdowns and like 300 yards between the two of them. Pretty pretty good. Nope, I had no nothing else to add there. Uh, let's get into the main part, Gerard. Not even the main part, but it's yeah, just I was the, most, the main part. <laughs> maybe just like maybe just maybe the most exciting part I of the Friday like, night's uh, recap. Like you've been holding your breath this whole time. All of this discussion of all these other players, and Chris is just like, yeah, 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 whatever, 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 whatever. Let's talk about Tackett Curtis. Tackett Curtis is the greatest high school player that's ever, no. But USC's linebacker commit, probably, I would say, the gem of the defensive class by far is just went bananas uh, last week in their, I believe it was their opener or their, maybe their second game, whatever which one it was. But it's kind of three- wild because the, the, whole th- the whole opener thing is, and this is going to Marion Peterson and looking for stats and not seeing any stats. It's like Texas just started last week. And it's wild because they play 16 games when they go through mm-hmm. their whole year. California, I mean, they've already played two weeks of football. <laughs> so it's like I, I, I'm assuming that, you know, they're just not putting up stat lines. But then you're telling me that Amirian Peterson uh, has just played his first game last week. And it's the same thing with uh, Quentin uh, Joyner, too. So, yeah, uh, kind of, um, you know, Arch Manning, all these schools. Like last week was their opening week. And California, we've actually already played two weeks. Yeah, it's weird, just the whole timelines. But yeah, well, this was three uh, weeks. Three weeks with this last weekend, so we have, we're we're three weeks in for CIF here. Right, and this was uh, Tackett Curtis and Manny's first game of the season, uh, and he went off Gerard with uh, not one, not two, but three punt return scores uh, for. For his team, and I'm sure you've seen the highlights. We did a story about it, but just a grown man out there. And I don't think we're we've hyped up sort of uh, Tackett's athleticism enough. But the dude is an athlete. The dude can yeah, run. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't feel like we've hit it. I feel like we even hit it harder now. I mean, well, I will say this. I will. I will say this to interject. I know I don't want to, you know, step on your toes here. No, no, no. Are, step on the toes. It's fine. You, you, you got to reel me in. Got to reel me. You are basking now. You are basking <laughs> now. Um, I, I have said because everybody wants to make Brian Cushing uh, comparisons, right? And I've said, sure. well, you know, Brian was playing receiver, and Brian was was playing, you know, safety at Bergen Catholic, and he was legitimately returning punt returns 
as a six four, you know, two hundred and twenty pound, two hundred twenty five pound linebacker. And you know, Hackett Curtis had 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 I think he had one returning. I think he had one punt returned for a touchdown last year. But I was like, I don't know. He's not really playing offense quite the same ways. You know, he's kind of a running back, kind of a, a, a wildcat quarterback. You know, I've just been very hesitant. I, I don't want to throw the Brian Cushing, you know, every guy, every white linebacker who's <laughs> athletic. Let's just let's just be real here. Is be real, Brian Gerard. Cushing. That's what they pay you to be. That's just – that irritates me. Like, let's – come on. Let's be a little more creative here. Let's try to find better analogies and better comparisons. But – <laughs> now we're getting into Brian Cushing territory where we're talking about multiple punt returns in a game when you know you you are a linebacker and oh yeah by the way you actually play safety on defense and they put you at safety so you can take care of the back end and you're fast enough to actually be a good run supporter too that's saying something that is saying something and we talked about how you want to see a guy kind of play all over the field and Tack and Curtis absolutely does that from quarterback to, you know, that hybrid linebacker, Lobo position to their lead punt returner, uh, runs the ball, whatever you want him to do, laying out defenders over the middle. He posted a clip of him just absolutely obliterating some poor receiver, just an impressive physical specimen and quickly becoming, I think, for a lot of people, their favorite commit in this class, Tackett Curtis just having an incredible start to his uh, senior year. We should honestly just send Jarrett out to Louisiana and have him live out there for a month and just go to every uh, Manny game. <laughs> yeah, every Oh, every Manny game. I was gonna, I, thought you, I thought you said every Manning game. No, uh, no, no, no. no. Manny. Manning every weekend. There will be one Manny, uh, Manning game for Manny. As you know, they're probably they're playing in two weeks, I think. Which, oh boy, I, I would not be surprised if uh, Manning had a uh, got a cold that week and maybe missed that game because oh, Tackett wow. Curtis wow. is coming. Wow. Look, I'll say it right now. You do not run Arch Manning in that game for the love no, of God. No, you no, do no. not. I, you do no, no read option in that game. You, you treat him like Keaton Slovis, like, uh, you know, Clay Helton. Uh, like, I miss Reed. You know, I'm not running. Um, yeah, you don't want to do that. That would be uh, not good. Um, it's just going to take but, one tacket blitz, though, to get through. That's true. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have a little play action. They're gonna try to suck them up. I mean, any any offensive coordinator that is seeing Tackett Curtis on film is like, <laughs> this guy is like you know shot out of a cannon running down the a gap here from the center of the field. We're gonna run play action. We're gonna play action. But you know, you do have to block the guy. <laughs> if you're right. gonna play that play action, if he's gonna run up. You better block him, and he uh, he he will run people over just you know breaking blocks down. So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, maybe maybe you know we got to send some people out there. Uh, I don't know where the game is actually being played. I don't know if he's playing. He's being played in Manny. We have friends in Manny, but if he's being played in, in the late Pontchartrain um, Academy for Flat Earthers, I, we might be barred and banned um, from entering uh, that premises. So I don't necessarily know off the top of my head. Um, which uh, which is which in terms of where they're playing. But, th- yeah, I mean, Taka Curtis, um, Bre- Brendan Shelby, I think those two guys, very dynamic players. People are just excited because they sort of bring to the table what you saw this past weekend uh, for USC in terms of playmakers, guys that can just make stuff happen. You know, Eric right. Gentry made something happen. I mean, it was, a, it was a sort of a play where it's like, okay, 
you're just in space. You're just kind of trying to guard the quarterback. Like, what's going to happen? Well, you you made that pass um, down there at the goal line very difficult. Kind of got a pass deflection, and the next thing you know, you go from you know maybe giving up seven points to to getting seven points. I mean, that that's such a turnaround. And those type of players are hard to find. And USC's got a couple in the class, so they got to nail those guys down. You 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 do not want to lose either of those guys. They are dynamic players, and they will further. Uh, the the defense to a more championship level, you know, the kind of guys that mm-hmm. uh, fly around and, and just can make things happen. Make it happen again. I still think we should send Jarrett just to go live in a uh, Manny for the uh, the winter, the fall, and have him come back with a great Louisiana accent. Gerard, do you want to close out Friday Night Lights with a Louisiana accent? He's gonna. He's Jared will come back with the Ed Ergeron sort of uh, Cajun. That, hey, hey, I'll, I'll go down there. I was on the Curtis. He'll have three touchdowns. He'll foster. I'm gonna tell you right now. He'll foster. We're gonna get. We're gonna get back here. He's gonna come out. He's gonna be early signing. He's gonna get out there for spring ball. He's gonna get them 15 prizes. He's gonna be starter. I'm gonna tell you right now. He's gonna be starter. Jared only records and interviews five stars, so it would make sense that Tackett would be a five star by the time he left the state of Louisiana. Uh, I'm doing a little uh, audible with our format, uh, our document that runs down our schedule. So I'm bumping up. I want to talk about uh, Sarah Jr. athlete Jason Mitchell and this whole reclassification uh, story that came out uh, this week. Then we're going to go on our break because I feel like we have a lot to talk about with your thoughts on USC versus Rice. So I want to get into a little bit of reclassification talk, Gerard, if that's okay with you. Yes. Let's do it. Reclassification, reconification. Yes. Either, do, either one. My my question is, Gerard, who does he have to reclassify with? Is it um, with the NCAA? <laughs> is it simply just yeah. the school? It, it, well, I think you have to do stuff through the clearinghouse. So you, you would have okay, to that's right. That's correct. From an academic standpoint, um, you have to have the credits and, uh, and or units. I can't remember high school from college when it comes to credits and units. But uh, you have to have the classes you know, to be able to graduate on time. So yeah, it's got to go through the NCA. It's got to go through all those schools compliance wise as well, um, because they're probably going to see those transcripts first and then it goes on to the NCAA. Uh, and then obviously Sarah high school, I don't know that CIF has anything to do with it. I, mean, I don't think that's a, an issue. I don't think he has to be cleared or what have you because he's playing this season and he could play next. So he's still eligible, but yeah, for seems like a, seems like a lot of work. Gerard. Well, it's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of work to get four years of high school done in three years, really. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where the work comes in. So, I mean, congratulations for him for being a great student. I mean, that's, that's something that's a tip of the cap uh, just to be focused and make sure you're on top of your P's and Q's. Um, ultimately the question is, of course, is it a good move from him from right. an opportunity standpoint, you know, in terms of where he is on the board for all these different schools that have offered him scholarships you know, is he still at that same place or in a better place if he comes out a year early? Right. And I've seen him twice this year. He is a big kid, you know, pushing six foot four, 185 pounds, a consensus four star prospect, uh, number 221 in our rankings, number 177 in the composite two star recruit rankings, excuse me, the 24 seven sports composite. USC does have the lone crystal ball. His dad, obviously, uh, former wide receiver at USC, won, uh, I believe, two national championships, one national championship uh, under Pete Carroll. Uh, so he is a you know Trojan legacy, 
if you will, put out that tweet on uh, uh, Tuesday because I've worked so hard in the classroom. I have the opportunity to reclassify as a 2023 graduate. I'm strongly leaning in that direction. So this is an interesting development because it brings up some questions that need to be answered. As you, as you mentioned, what position is he? Uh, he is listed as an athlete, like I mentioned in previous podcasts. He is playing quarterback uh, for Sarah, which is not going well for their offense. That's not you know necessarily a knock on him, but he is not a quarterback. He is a athlete playing cor- uh, quarterback because they do not really have any options uh, to go that route. Uh, there are times he plays wide receiver when they bring in their young guy, but we haven't even really seen him really get to play that uh, because he's so focused on playing cor- uh, quarterback. And when he's on the defensive side of the ball, he's playing sort of a a, a safety kind of hybrid, almost uh, strong safety linebacker kind of position when he comes down into the box. And again, he looks like a dude. You know, he's six foot four, 185 pounds, but it just brings up this interesting dynamic of if he's going to be in the 2023 class, do they have the room for him? Do they have the fit for him? Because not necessarily knowing where USC is recruiting him at. When I talked to him and we've talked to him in the past, it seems like Dante Williams has kind of been that uh, primary uh, lead recruiter, which kind of tells us, oh, USC kind of wants him at a defensive back position, whether that's safety or cornerback. Talking to him, it just seems like he has a preference to kind of follow in his dad's footsteps, kind of play on the offense, that wide receiver position. But does USC necessarily want him at wide receiver with, you know, kind of the class they've already built so far with Makai Lemon, Zachariah Branch, and then recently Jacoby Lane? Yes, he would be another big receiver, but do they really want another receiver in this class? I'm not sure. Uh, so is he a take for USC in 2023? So this brings up a whole bunch of uh, questions for Jason Mitchell as he, you know, accelerates his recruiting process for USC and a bunch of other schools uh, if he makes this decision. I think it's to be determined. You know, ultimately, mm-hmm. that question right now, right here this week, I think USC is still figuring it out because, yes, like you said, there are still evaluation questions in terms of what position he should be playing. I think early on, Dante Williams was his primary recruiter. And that doesn't necessarily mean 100% that USC just wanted him to play cornerback. Um, he did talk about that a little bit with Dante Williams. Uh, but Dante Williams, in, in this staff in general, there has been some overlap. There have been some guys recruiting outside their positions. Um, certainly, we've seen that with Sean Noah, mm-hmm. with some of the, the offensive linemen that USC's got committed. So there is a little bit to be said for connections and territory. And certainly, Dante Williams is one of, if not the best recruiter on the coaching staff. So you're going to see him involved with multiple recruitments. But I think there was a conversation there. And I think Jason was a little torn about it. There was some early crystal balls and some feeling that maybe he could commit to USC after he got that scholarship offer. And then you start talking to him and you could see there was a little bit of trepidation and it kind of revolved around position. Um, he would be very unique to play a cornerback position with his height. But, you know, as we said before, we pointed to Malachi Crawford. You know, he's one of those guys that has been able to pull it off and he's coming to USC uh, as a cornerback that could potentially move around a little bit. There's a lot of versatility in that defensive backfield for USC. And I think that they, they like that. They embrace that, but 
I personally feel that Jason Mitchell's best position right now is receiver. Uh, I've seen him be very successful at receiver. Mm -hmm. I saw him go against Dalen Austin in the playoffs last year and have success at wide receiver. And I, I think that is sort of where his heart is at. So it is going to be interesting with these schools that he's looking at and the schools that are contacting him. USC has already contacted him about reclassification, but I think it's just smart on their part to get ahead of it, just to understand like sort of, you know, how serious are you about this? Um, even talking to him about, you know, whether it is a good thing for him or not, you definitely want to have your foot in the door uh, with uh, the other schools that are having that conversation with him about what he's going to do. And then you have to kind of look at your own board and evaluate it. We talked about Jacoby Lane and the potential of him, maybe down the road, there being some pressure for him to open things up or to look at some other schools, take some visits to some other schools, you know, Oregon uh, had a bunch of crystal balls there for a very legitimate reason. And so, you, you know, you're not necessarily out of the woods yet. Uh, with your with your wide receiver position. Um, the whole thing in terms of what numbers USC can take, I've been very hesitant to put out there any sort of like these are the numbers you need because, gosh, A, you've got the portal, which opens up back, uh, you know, the day after they start naming the champion uh, in uh, the bowl division schools. Um, so that's a 45-day window is the new rule that they passed. We talked about this in the last podcast last week, I believe, um, that you have these new – uh, windows basically it's like uh, you know two months where you've got a 45 uh, day window postseason and you've got another 50 or excuse me 15 day window in May which you could enter the portal and all these schools are going to scramble and try to get transfers out of there so you're going to have to look at that before the early signing day you're going to have to look at the transfers you already have and what out of that group has the potential to go to the NFL what of that group is going to be on the roster next year. Um, and now you're not necessarily looking at 25 per class either. That's the other thing that we have to keep in mind nowadays. Um, the NCAA has passed a rule where it's basically the 85 you're concerned about. You're not looking uh, per cycle how many you can take, how many in your early enrollees. Do you have to gray shirt somebody? Do you have to blue shirt somebody? All that's out the window. Now it's just that overall uh, 85 number uh, of scholarship players on your roster that you have to keep an eye on. And so, and a lot of that has to do with the transfers because there's just so much math that's involved and there's so much projecting. You can really get hung out to dry um, if you're not on top of that stuff. So it's just going to be interesting at the end of the year uh, with, with that said, um, you know, what room there is and, and what you also feel like you can get out of the portal, because as I said, it's going to be ahead of the early signing day. Now I don't know the exact date, um, of which the 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 actual uh, champions the champions of the college football playoff I guess it's you know I'm not 100 percent sure if it even um, takes or it's a, a rule that is applied for this year I think it is not 100 percent sure about that so don't quote me on it but I think it actually does apply this year at the end of the year and it's when you name the champions of your, 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 your division, um, which is a little kind of sketchy. Cause I mean, with the college football playoff, obviously you don't know who's in the championship until they play that. And that game isn't played till after, but from what I was reading of it, you would have that 45 day window and you would have it before the actual early signing day. So I don't know. I have to read that again. I'm just thinking about it and confusing myself with it. But from what I was understanding, this 45 window day was going to 
was going to start before the early signing period. And so from a transfer standpoint, um, you're already going to be looking to see who's available from a transfer standpoint. And that's going to become um, a, a sort of like your board's going to play itself out before you even get to the early signing day. So if that is how it, it plays out and that's, that's how it is, that's going to have a huge impact on the numbers that you have in terms of your class from a high school standpoint, the guys that you're actually going to sign out of high school. And Dave E, as I mentioned, had two questions. We asked, we talked about one during the Braxton Myers decommitment in terms of Marcus deal, but he had another one is with Braxton now out is Mitchell in, and is this an upgrade or downgrade? And to answer that, I think we kind of hit on that. Is Mitchell in? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's in because, as Gerard said, USC still needs to further their evaluation and really see if he is a 2023 for them in this class and if he even goes through with it. It has not been – the decision has not been made and can't really say if it's an upgrade or downgrade because he might not even be taken as a defensive back. So, like I said, a lot of questions – still to be answered with this one. Uh, Gerard, just before we close out this uh, first half of the show, I know JT Daniels was obviously obviously a reclassification. Are there any other big ones from your time recruiting that you can recall? Uh, I mean, JT Daniels was was the craziest, um, right, right, for sure. Right. Um, there was another one. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. There was there was another kid that reclassified, and it was a bit of a scramble. Most of the time, the kids that reclassify, they already have their college sort of in mind. Um, even if they haven't committed, they're sort of already going that through that process with that college because those college counselors can sort of help them make sure they have their their paperwork in order and everything. Because sometimes, I mean, it's a new process for the counselors at the high school level. Um, so yeah, it's usually been one of those things where, uh, they kind of already in the process of committing to a school or really leaning towards school heavily, um, before they actually make that move, um, to go out, go ahead and get out early. Right. JT Daniels obviously was a huge one as a five-star prospect. And I believe the last really like big five-star prospect was, uh, Overton, that defensive lineman kid for the 2020, uh, three class. Who went yeah. to Texas A&M? So I think that was the last kind of like big. Can I, can I interject? I, I I didn't want to leave this because I I left it so confusing and I was actually confused myself. I, I have to still read a little bit about this because it, it I don't know if it necessarily clears anything up, but let me specifically read what the rule is for the transfer windows. Now it says it's going to go into effect for the 22-23 season, and it will allow 60 days. Uh, per year for an athlete to enter the portal. So 60 days, but those 60 days, those two months are broken up into two different periods. And the first period is the first, a 45 day period will start the day after championship selections are made. A second window will be instituted from May 1st to May 15th. So players can transfer uh, in uh, after spring ball. So yeah, I, I, I don't – championship selections are made. It's a bit ambiguous as to what that actually means. Uh, from what I understand, that would be um, the first window would, would would start December 1st through 15th, and the second would be the 45-day window that starts with the championship selection. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll follow up on that a little bit to just get more clarity, but it kind of sounds like it would be – 
uh, overlapping with the actually early signing day period because early signing day period is, is usually around that 15th. Um, so again, if, if that's the way it is, if that's true, it's certainly going to have a major impact on uh, the recruiting process uh, for the high school kids because you you could have a scholarship offer. You, I mean, shoot, you could be committed to a school and somebody at that position that's a plug and play player pops up in the portal and he's interested in transferring to your school. Ah, there's going to, there's going to be some colleges that are going to be shaking loose. Some, be some drops. Yeah. There'll be some, there'll be some drops and some things that happen there. Uh, a mad scramble. So if, if that is indeed the case and there's that overlap, which I, I understood uh, originally there is, but you know, when I'm thinking about it, as I was saying it, the whole championship selections, I'm like, Huh? <laughs> Does that just mean the, the the college football playoff is announced? Those four schools are announced. You know, that's not the championship. That's not the national championship game, but it is in a way who's going to be playing for the championship. So, you know, maybe the bowl selection. I don't know. Uh, but if it is around that period, then it would certainly come before the actual early signing day, which may be another indication and another reason to get rid of the early signing day period and just have those kids commit in February like they did before. The good old days, as I like to say, when the February actually means something. So I think that's a good place to take our break for the first half of the show. We're going to come back. We're going to get Gerard's thoughts on USC's win over Rice. We'll have the official, the unofficial visitors uh, for that game. Some uh, recruiting impact off of that game. You know, the positive recruiting angles, the negative recruiting angles. We'll talk about a little bit around college football and the recruiting impact for USC with other schools. And then where we're going to be at uh, this week for Friday night. And then we got some listener questions and then we'll get out of here. So, Gerard, we're going to take a quick break. Listeners, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gerard, I feel like this one's going to go into Thursday. <laughs> Maybe. I don't That's know. That's my feeling right now. That's my we feeling got, right now. We got an hour left, so let's get rapid fire. Let's uh well, there's no way we're gonna be able to rapid fire this, but USC number ten USC, number fourteen at the time, picked up the first win of the Lincoln Riley era, a sixty-six to fourteen beatdown of the Rice Owls, which you know really wasn't a surprise given the hype USC had, the skill players, the talent 
advantage they had over a Rice program that hasn't had a winning season in a long time. But plenty of visitors in the stands, and we're going to get into those. But Gerard, did you have any just quick kind of opening thoughts on USC's win? Uh, uh, it was good win. Uh, certainly, you know, start off uh, a little shaky in terms of run defense and some other things. The offense looked great the whole game. And really, I think USC looked the way most expected them to look. They really mm-hmm. kind of took off where they left off from the spring game, which was impressive because there was so little penalties. Uh, there was no turnovers in the spring game. And you saw just a much more fluid offense. Uh, than we had seen in previous years under Clay Helton. And that did continue uh, with the game against Rice. You didn't see a lot of bunch of sportsmen-like contact uh, penalties um, outside of, I think, a controversial um, call against uh, Romel Height. Um, You didn't have a bunch of delay of game. You didn't have uniform malfunctions. You didn't have too many people on the field. There wasn't a lot of that sort of it looked like USC had a hard time getting any type of rhythm, uh, particularly offensively. You know, defensively, like I said, early on in the game, uh, the run defense was a bit spotty. Uh, but certainly, you know, when you get in that third quarter and you have those pick-stick turnovers, it totally turned the game on its head. And, and Rice tried to adjust, and they tried to pass the ball more, probably just dug them a bigger hole than if they would have just kept running the ball. I think it was interesting because Rice came out in that second half and really played it like, hey, we have a chance to win this game. We're not going to just play this game to try to keep it close, to try to not embarrass ourselves. And that's what ultimately ended up uh, in the blowout because they kind of opened up the offense to try to get back in it, and that really helped USC. So we're going to see um, an interesting connection with this Rice game, and particularly certainly the run game that Rice uses because um, you got uh, Mike Bloomgren, who is the old O.C., uh, under David Shaw uh, at Rice, and, and now you're going to play Stanford. And so you're seeing probably a lot of concepts um, right. that Stanford uses with Rice, and I'm sure that had something to do with the scheduling. Um, and that's good and bad, you know, for USC in, 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 in the respect of they get to see that, you know, they get to see sort of the, the blocking schemes and what have you. And so you get a little more time to prepare for that, and that's always good for a defense. The longer you get to prepare, the more you get to see of it, uh, the more ground the defense makes up um, schematically on it. Um, but it also means that Stanford got to see USC play against some of those schemes and those concepts. Yeah. And so they'll probably make some adjustments off of that. But um, in general, it was a, it was a, it was a good blowout. Um, it was a game where you could see that the USC coaching staff was very um, emphatic about finishing that game. And that's something that, you know, we've seen from USC in the past where they get up a couple touchdowns and they just fall asleep. They just lose interest. And this would be a game, as many of the Trojan fans pointed out on Twitter and the Peristyle, where USC would, it would have been like a 38-20 game. Uh, it would have been a 41-28 game where USC, like they won and they won by a good amount, but it didn't feel convincing. It right. felt like they just sort of struggled through it and uh, didn't have a lot of rhythm, and you just didn't feel clean coming away from that game. And I think the way USC played against Rice, uh, which was a totally overmatched team that they should have blown out, uh, but they played it like they should have played it, and they came away from it, I think, with uh, some emphasis. And uh, it was you know, a a good momentum builder going into the Stanford game. 
And as I mentioned, a pretty good list of unofficial visitors were in attendance for this one. Going to run through those real quick. In 2023, you had Roderick Pleasant, Malachi Crawford commit, uh, offensive lineman Micah Banuelos commit, uh, Christian Pierce to commit, O-line Tobias Raymond to commit, David Peavy, uh, Deshaun Faustos Ramos. Uh, just, just we, ha- we have not yet confirmed David Peavy. Uh, that was one that came up. I think it was Steve Wolfong who reported that he was going to be at the game. But he, but David Peavy himself told Austin Green, our own writer, that he wasn't planning on going to the game. So we have yet to actually confirm that David Peavy was there. So that would be obviously a big one um, because USC is in a three-way battle right now with Oregon and Washington for four-star, or I think he's a three-star, actually, uh, David Peavy from Lincoln High School, uh, an edge rusher slash linebacker. Um, so that would be a, a pretty big one. And, and, and the name that you were struggling with, Jason Frosto Ramos uh, from uh, Bellflower, St. John Bosco, committed to Stanford, um, makes it to the game. So interesting. He's still, you know, keeping an eye on USC. USC probably still keeping an eye on him. Uh, in 2024, you had DeAndre Carter, Marcellus Williams, uh, Brandon Baker, Aaron Butler, the USC commit, uh, Jordan Anderson, Zabian Brown, Dylan Williams, USC commit, 2024 linebacker, Jason Robinson, uh, Long Beach Poly, like Dylan, USC commit, Jordan Lockhart, the Ole Miss commit, out of St. John Bosco, uh, Blake Tabarucci, uh, the younger brother of uh, Carson Tabarucci, uh, Aiden Breland, uh, big defensive lineman out of modern day. In 2025, you had Noah Mikhail, uh, Nasir, Nasir Wyatt, and then Jet White, the 2025 cornerback commits. So a pretty good opening day official, uh, official, unofficial visitor list for a uh, week one, I would say, Gerard. Yeah, uh, decent, you know, very local. No, very local. Yes. Visitors. I think, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks beforehand that this was not going to be a game where the atmosphere was going to be over the top great. You're playing against an overmatched opponent. People expect you to blow it out. Uh, you didn't even know at that point that the game was going to be searing hot and that, you know, LA sports fans were not going to want to sit there in 101 degrees <laughs> and watch a blowout. Um, so it, it wasn't lining up necessarily uh, to be the type of matchup where, you know, the atmosphere necessarily matches the intensity you want to recruit a top player at. You know, you can't compare it to the horseshoe when Ohio state is hosting Notre Dame or, uh, you know, some of these big games down South uh, where, you know, you're, you're playing against a good opponent and the the stadium is packed. And also you're still trying to convince Trojan fans that this is going to be a winning football program. And that's just a process. And it's a process. I know that probably some of the players on the roster that transferred in don't understand the coaches may not even understand, but it's one of those things that, you really got to prove to L.A. sports fans that you're a winner. You really got to prove that you are the best game in town, the most entertaining game in town to go watch. And once you get them, it's going to be amazing. But you really have to work for it. And so it's not one of those things that you necessarily want to sell to recruits when, you know, the stadium. I think there was 60,000, it said, uh, which was 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 decent uh, for the Pac-12. Um, but certainly uh, probably not that many actually showed up. That was probably tickets sold. So you're probably looking at what, I don't know, 45,000 maybe. Um, you were there at the game. You saw 
Um, Atmosphere-wise, what did it look like? Was it the kind of atmosphere that you want to bring in some of your top prospects from across the country? Not necessarily. There was some open, a lot of open seats. But for the most part, I thought the crowd was very enthusiastic. It definitely, you know, we've seen home opener crowds under Clay Helton, but there's also always this sort of feeling of not dread, but just like we we're here. Let's cheer for this team, but we're not going to enjoy it either way. Uh, that's kind of what the feeling has been for, for past uh, USC crowds uh, for the fans that did go there. But for, for there was genuine enthusiasm that I felt from the crowd for the people that were there, you know, that made the trek out that were sitting in that brutal heat, they definitely were enthused. And I think they were very happy that USC was able to put on a show for them and make some plays, obviously three pick sixes, 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 and, you know, a bunch of scoring with that offense. So their stars were on display. So they had a lot of fun. Um, I think it was a fun crowd for this local group, you know, not necessarily that big uh, packed house kind of feel, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to get some games like that as we move through the season and as they keep winning. But, yeah, this wasn't what what I would call that 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 crowd. You really wanted your, you know, big out of state guy to come in and watch. Um, but definitely a good I, I would say a good atmosphere overall just because of the enthusiasm. It wasn't packed, obviously. It wasn't packed packed, but I, I you could definitely feel how excited the crowd was for this uh, this opener for Lincoln Riley. You just have to imagine that enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, come Fresno State. uh, Maybe they get to the point where, you know, they've they've got Arizona State at home. you got Washington at home. Washington State, I think, is at home. A little later in the season where you've got, you know, wins under your belt and you've got those highlights under your belt and the the sort of filthy casuals that watch SportsCenter, you know, they've seen this (laughs) Caleb Williams kid and now they've seen him in a Trojan uniform throwing a bunch of touchdowns. You start, you know, you start bringing in more of those people, and then the, the the weather is a little cooler, and it's a little more uh, understandable to sit there uh, in that heat and to bear the traffic. And um, yeah, now you've got something cooking. You know, now you've got something that's uh, a little uh, easier. Uh, yeah, I was cooking. Out. I was cooking on that field. I'll tell you that yeah. right now. Yeah, we uh, we we have. Uh, I have some interesting video of you just creeping behind Caleb Williams. You know, doing your little lifeguard thing. It's 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 funny. You looked uh, very suspicious. I I did. I had a couple people send me that <laughs> that, that flip so or that still. So look, I made it on. I was actually wearing uh, our my sponsor our sponsor's hat, uh, Meredith uh, Schlosser. I was rocking that hat, so I got it a little bit on the Pac-12 Network. No one saw it, obviously, because it was Pac-12 Network. But maybe, maybe ABC <laughs> for uh, for Stanford, or maybe uh, you know ESPN for another game down the line. Well, who knows? So hopefully, a bigger audience will get to see the hat uh, moving forward. But Gerard, there are some negatives and some positive recruiting impact that we saw just on the field. Let's just start with the negatives because those are less on our list. But I believe. The first one would have to be tight ends. Obviously, the tight ends were not a huge part of the passing game. Lake McCree only caught one pass. I believe that was the only target as well. Um, so tight end usage, very interesting as a position we've heard we heard a lot about in the offseason as a position that's really vital for Lincoln Riley, but weren't not we're not really a a big factor in this one in terms of uh 
the passing offense. Yeah, and you're recruiting Deuce Robinson. Um, you're recruiting some some big time players like uh, Nicholas Harbor, who could end up being sort of a quasi receiver tight end. Um, not a lot from even the big receivers. It was it was a you know Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, um, sort of uh, you know Trey uh, Travis Dye sort of you know ball game where um, you were getting a lot of the players out uh, the ball in space. Um, a lot of open receptions, you know, that's something I think Trojan fans haven't really seen where, you know, the wide receivers uh, weren't so contested uh, in the, uh, in their routes in the past game. Um, so, you know, s- certainly it wasn't a game where you, you know, can showcase uh, how you want to get the ball to your tight ends. Uh, you got Jude Wolf there who's injured, who's hurt, who would be a starter. Um, but, you know, we, we keep hearing about the, the, the legend of Malcolm Epps. This goes back to the last staff in the offseason. We just kept hearing how amazing Malcolm Epps was. Malcolm Epps, Malcolm Epps. And so we've all been waiting for Malcolm Epps to do something, and um, we're still waiting. So we'll see. Maybe that's something that uh, USC has in their back pocket. I don't know if that's necessarily something that you're going to reveal against Stanford because Stanford uh, runs a lot of three tight end sets, and they have a lot of tight ends um, that they recruit pretty well at that position. So – their defense is going to see some tight ends. They're going to see big receivers, so they're probably going to know how to defend that pretty well. So, again, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, going to be a big part of the offense this week either. It certainly wasn't a big part of the offense against Rice. Do you think you can use that as a positive, though, when you're talking to Deuce? Like, Deuce, we need we need that tight end juice. We need someone who can be a factor for our tight end room, and that's you. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, you you can always say it. You can always spin it and say, look, at, you know, we're missing that guy. And, and, and maybe it works to some extent. But I do think with these players, when they see it happening, they see the blueprint in action and they're like, I can be that guy. But better. That's always going to work more so than uh, the absence of something, you know, trying to showcase the absence of something is a lot harder than being able to say, look, at this guy's a senior. He just showed out. He had nine receptions for, you know, 100 yards, two touchdowns, whatever the case may be. Um, You know, you can play that position and you are even more athletic and can be that guy in the offense. And now you know uh, what you are going to be doing and have a better idea for it. So I think, you know, when you're sending the film out, you certainly want to have some type of showcase of that at the position. Um, So you're going to have to get the ball to Malcolm Epps. You're going to have to get the ball. Uh, to Josh Follow, you're going to have to get the ball to the tight end. It's tough. There's only one ball as well, and um, you have a bunch of good wide receivers. Uh, but certainly I think it's just a, a, an order of matchups. And it was, it was from an offensive standpoint, a very easy game for USC. I mean, it, like I said, it, it looked the way it's supposed to look against Rice uh, when you're an offense. You know, even though the running game, I think early on was a little kind of like, okay, um, they even kind of got that going. I think, you know, the ability of – Caleb Williams to run on that read option. It opens it up a lot. Uh, I kind of tweeted during the game. It's incredible that USC had gone five seasons without that, even though they gave that look and they had that look in their offense. And that's basically how they ran the ball with a sort of read option. Look, they just never had a quarterback or even it wasn't about having a quarterback that could do it all the time. You saw middle Moss run that look and actually right. run the ball and gash the defense. I mean, that's, you just need to have that a handful of times during the game in order to keep that outside linebacker defensive end from crashing in on the running back in the running game. 
And so you can hold him there a little bit. And, you know, the, there was a great example there where they put that zip motion with uh, Addison. And there was some misdirection there with Addison running one way and then giving the ball the other way. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that you were able to have uh, Caleb Williams there uh, being able – because that, that's really sort of a triple option uh, look, you know, where you're, you, you've got Caleb Williams there. You've got the ball where you can hand it off. But then you've got Addison coming around the back on sort of like it's a speed option. So Caleb Williams could take that and uh, he could, you know, fake that handoff to the running back. And then also if the defensive end holds, he can pass it off to Jordan Addison coming over the top as well. So it's, it's a triple option look, um, but it's, it's, it's an actual viable option. And you've got three players there that can all handle the ball and all can run the ball and get big yardage. And that's just something that USC didn't have. Even like I said, Though they gave that look, that hesitation, which just gave the outside linebacker and the defensive end an extra second to crash in, um, they didn't have a real viable threat uh, to be able to keep the ball and run it. So now they have that, and that is going to also you know, open up the run game a bit as well. Speaking of the run game, kind of jumping around into, obviously you just touched on some of the positives, but Relik Brown is obviously a guy who you know, people were excited about got to see that excitement in action with the way he played, scored his first uh, collegiate touchdown, hit a little bit of a Heisman pose, you know, got got people buzzing with that. I don't know. I want to get your reaction on that. And obviously, he did get banged up a little bit, but for the most part, Relik looked like a guy we heard about in fall camp, looked like every bit as dynamic and talented out on that field, just running at a different speed than everybody, it seemed like. And the quickness is just there. The athleticism is just there. And looks like he's going to be a good one uh, for this offense, Gerard. We were seeing this coming out of the last two scrimmages, even though we didn't see the last two scrimmages. I mean, <laughs> we were hearing Relique was getting the ball and Relique was making some plays. And so, you know, once he got in there, and he got in there, I want to say, in that first series in the red zone. Yeah, so yeah. He, got, he was the first one out there, yeah. They got him in the in the game early which is big. I know those two running backs in Texas are smiling about that because you want to see, again, you want to see it done. You want to see the vision uh, in action and you see them playing freshman uh, running backs, even though you've got two older transfer running backs, um, they're willing to spread the ball around and get the ball in the hands of the guys who are going to make the plays. And that's what high school football players want to see. They don't want to go to a school where it's like, well, you're not a junior, so you can't play in the first game, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, seeing Relique play early was big time um, on that particular play where he threw up the Heisman. I think that was a play where it was it was, it was kind of almost a broken play. It seemed to some extent there was not a great um, option pitch relation there between he and Caleb Williams. There's a, a little bit of a, a, a I don't know if it's the ball handling or what have you. Um, and, and Caleb kind of got him the ball and he just outran. He just outflanked. Uh, the defense. It was just literally like, hey, that's really Brown doing really Brown stuff. Like there, there really wasn't a lot of uh, schematics or, or X's and O's. It was just, I got the ball. I was going to outrun this dude and get to the end zone, and he did. And it was, it was, it was a quick Heisman pro. It, it I think it was okay because it was just impulsive. It was just like it just happened. You know what I mean? It, it didn't feel like it was this contrived sort of. I've been thinking about doing this sort of thing. It, it felt like it just was like, oh man, that was a great run. Boom. You know, and he just threw it up. So I, I don't know. I just laughed at it. I, I didn't feel like, oh, you know, it's too early and you're just a freshman. You you shouldn't do that. Um, I don't know. I just didn't take it that way. Let him have a little fun. 
let them have a little fun out there. Football's fun. Football should be fun. And it was a obviously a game where USC was enjoying themselves on the sideline and having a good time. Uh, but not a good time. I know this is a one of the negatives for you that you put down was the run defense. And you actually had some tweets about it, especially talking about USC when they're going to be going up against some bigger fronts, some bigger packages that they're going to have to face in the in in the in play this year. Uh, what were your thoughts on the run defense? Yeah, I think, you know, just in terms of the red zone and the goal line stands and not matching up real well with the big boy formations that Rice used early. Um, now, you can look at the second half and go, well, hey, man, they held them with no points. They really shut down the run game. But I, I do think Rice, for a good period there, sort of got out of their offense and they were trying to actually throw the ball to get back in the ball game. And then the quarterback goes down. So it's like you're throwing the ball with your backup quarterback. Maybe they felt like he was a better passer. I don't know. But they kind of put the ball in the air. And that just, you know, it, it, it made things worse for them. They dug themselves a bigger hole with it and threw more interceptions. Um, so, yeah, that's still a question mark in terms of getting reach blocked, how they're containing. Um, you know, Rice really was working them on that off tackle play and they were just not doing well in terms of run fits. Now, you know, I think um, the, the the sunshine pumper is going to say, well, hey, listen, you know, here's the conspiracy. Uh, USC gives those looks purposely. They may be in a bad defense purposely. Uh, they get outmanned purposely. So Stanford has that film and they think, hey, this is what they're going to play. And this is what we're going to have to go against it. So we're going to have success and we're going to use that play. And USC makes that adjustment. I think that's thinking a little bit too much uh, in the 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 the, uh, the tinfoil hat uh, sort of category. Um, I think USC's just struggled, you know, with uh, getting bodies in the right places and and, and having – the right bodies at the line of scrimmage, you know, they're still not there. When you go and you watch teams like Clemson, you watch teams like Georgia, you know, even LSU, Florida State, a lot of these teams, and you just see the athletes that they have, the 300-pounders they have. And listen, this is not necessarily the direction that Alex Grinch wants to go as a defensive coordinator. Um, we've talked about this with some of the later defensive line scholarship offers they've given to to some guys that are in that like 6'3", 250-pound range, um, maybe going after guys that are a little bit more mobile, starting a guy like Dijon Benton instead of uh, Brandon Peely, although we saw plenty of Brandon Peely, who's lost a little bit of weight as well, which, again, you know, you question, is that really the right thing for him? You know, is he really that much better of a player having lost that weight, or can he play at that, you know, 320 and pretty much move the same way, but you have a little more anchor, a little more power in your butt. And those teams that are there at that high level, uh, Ohio State included, um, they've got some big dudes up front that can move. And USC's just a bit small, and they got pushed around a bit, I think, by Rice. And so we're going to see a bigger test for them against Stanford, whether it's going to be schematically, how they line up, what they do, how disruptive they are. Uh, Alex Grinch was successful at Washington State with smaller defensive lines against Stanford. So we're going to have to see how he does uh, at USC with better players, certainly. And, um, you know, Stanford is uh, Stanford's kind of like a, you know, a, a, their 50-50 ball has really been what's given USC problems the past couple of years. It's not so much been the run game, the bullying sort of Jim Harbaugh football. It's been just having some big wide receivers and some big tight ends and the secondary just not playing very aware, not playing very well. And them 
depending a lot on the referees, giving them 15 yard penalties. That's something that from a coaching standpoint, USC has to kind of uh, rally around a little bit and recognize that that's kind of been part of Stanford's offense and the games that they don't get those calls, they lose those games. And so it's a really, it's a little bit of a, you know, you're depending on the officiating a little bit um, to be able to get those calls and uh, you know, hope that if you don't get the call, you do make that catch with your bigger receivers. So that's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how USC plays it. And um, again, I, I, I don't necessarily know that, you know, Stanford's going to be able to keep this close because of the run game either. And with USC's offense, the way it's going, and not to make this into a Stanford preview, I mean, you can't let USC get ahead of you like that. You start losing possessions, right. their offense gets back in the field, and they're up and down the field, and they're scoring again. And it's like, holy crap, you know? And, and that's what really killed Rice is because not only are you getting stops, but you're getting pick sixes. And it's like, <laughs> dude, man, it's just it's like boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it's like, remember when it was 28-14? It's like all of a sudden now, you know, you're just you're, – you're down, and, you know, you got 50 points on the board. Can you rank the pick sixes real quick? Uh, I mean, I like the one where you got Nick Figueroa making um, that uh, that play and, and sort of forcing it. I think the, the force, um, it's almost like a fumble, is a little better because you're getting that pressure from the defensive line. You're getting Corey Foreman involved. And so I, I like that you're able to get a pick six off of pressure. You know, it, it's a defensive overall forced uh, play, and that's what you want to see from your defense. You don't, you don't want to just see the, the opposing offense suck. It's like because they're bad, you know, <laughs> right to the guy. It's like, yeah, OK, whatever. They're bad. That's not going to happen week in and week out. You're going to play against some teams that are good. So you want to see where your defense is actually forcing those turnovers. Um, you know, certainly that earlier one with Kalen Bullock uh, was huge as well, because, I mean, you had that um, you had that play where they kind of got away with one um, where they probably should have scored earlier than that. And I can't remember the play, but I remember thinking to myself, like, ah, you know, they got a penalty there. Something happened where it's like they probably should have scored on that, and they didn't, and USC was able to get that pick six, and it was like, man, they, that was like a, you know, a complete turnaround of, you know, they're down there ready to score, keep the game close to, boom, you know, you're now breaking it open. And, and certainly that was another one that was forced. That was Eric Gentry, who, again, like Raleigh Brown, we've heard so much towards the end of fall camp, and even when he transferred or even when he was in the transfer portal, and we heard he was interested in USC and talking to all my sources, um, guys that are ASU, they're like, you know, he's 6'6", he's like 210 pounds soaking wet, but he's not just an edge rusher. He's not just a guy that you want to put on the edge and just have him rush. He's actually agile enough to be a linebacker and play in space, which makes him incredibly unique because he has that height. And he's really a disruptor in the pass game because he's got long arms and he's 6'6", and he can jump. And there we saw uh, his long arms and his ability to play in space and make that a really tough throw that he kind of got a hand on. And that's what ultimately led to the interception. So, again, it's, I look at that more as a forced uh, turnover. And that's what you want to see from your defense. You want to see forced turnovers. Yeah, you can play against Rice. They're going to give you some easy ones. Uh, but you want to see the forced turnovers because if you're playing like that um, against anybody, it doesn't matter. You're making those type of plays. You're going to get those turnovers. Anybody else you want to highlight or mention or give flowers to from this game? <laughs> USC, I mean, USC gets – they get nine transfers starting. Um, that's going to be big for the portal. That's going to be something that uh, you, you lay out there uh, in the recruiting process, trying to get transfers in, saying, listen, we get our guys on the field. 
Uh, if you're a good player, you're going to come here. You're going to be showcased. It's not going to be one of those things where, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be put behind an upperclassman that's already here. Um, so that's big. Uh, obviously, transfers want to make an immediate impact. And USC has a bunch of those guys making an immediate impact. So that's good for them from that standpoint. Um, again, kind of going back to the defensive turnovers, I think that just looks good for recruits. You know, talk to Dylan Williams. We talked to a bunch of these kids after the game. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of modern, modern day guys before the game and then talked to them after the game. And, you know, we've always said this kids are looking at the sports center highlights, looking at box scores. Not a lot of them are really scrutinizing the game, you know, and, and how everything's going. There's very few guys that uh, are going to watch a whole college football game that way. So when you get 66 points on the board and you get those big turnovers on defense, it's a real easy sort of, hey, man, just wrap that highlight up and send it to them, you know, on their DMs or, or on their Instagram or whatever. And uh, and they're able to see that stuff. And they're like, man, you know, that's that defense is doing it, man. They're playing amazing. They're getting turnovers. It's exciting football. Uh, I want to be a part of that. And so that's really good for uh, recruiting, even though, you know, it's against again, a, a opponent that you're supposed to beat like that. Um, it's still good to be able to get those highlights and to be able to, to 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 recruit off of them. Highlights, baby. It's all about highlights. Now, just looking at college football, I guess, outside of USC and sort of these programs that you know USC is kind of competing against for recruits and their in their recruiting landscape. Oregon was the big one. Obviously, that's a school that USC has gone head-to-head with multiple times and lost them. Most recently have been winning against the Ducks. And I'm sure this is this week one result of getting absolutely demolished by Kirby Smart and Georgia in their big national uh, matchup. I believe it was 49-3, to something like that. Uh, just absolutely uh, washed the Ducks. And Louisville, who, you know, has been making moves with their NIL uh, opportunities and recruiting the crap out of St. John Bosco, uh, they got uh, smacked by Syracuse at 31 to 7. UCLA did get a win, but they had like negative 500 people at the Rose Bowl. So Utah lost a close one out in uh, in Florida to the Gators, a game they they had the opportunity to win. Not necessarily like a big recruiting rival with Utah, but still, that's a team that was, you know, the favorite for the Pac-12 title. You know, they took a loss out there in a a big uh, national uh, matchup. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, LSU and Florida State, those are two teams USC would love to, I guess, take some of their commits away, especially one Lucas Simmons, uh, big-time offensive tackle. But... Florida State did pull it out at the very, very last second in the most dramatic way they could with a blocked extra point. But those were two teams that didn't necessarily look great, but they were still, you know, uh, notable games uh, across the country and teams that USC will or uh, USC fans will be watching closely as they have recruiting implications down the line. So just a lot going on, but obviously the headliner would be. Oregon taking a big fat L uh, on the national stage. Yeah. I mean, under the circumstances and the context is right now, you know, you kind of look, this is a very pivotal point in time for Oregon football Um, with big 10 
moving to expand and bring in USC and UCLA and looking kind of disinterested in adding Oregon and Oregon having a new coaching staff, uh, first time head coach, um, and, and not looking very good against <laughs> Georgia and, and the Georgia head coach Kirby smart basically came out and said, Hey, listen, I know Dan Lanning, you know, we talked Dan Lanning will never say it, but, uh, we just got better players. And, you know, from a talent composite standpoint, they do. But I think yeah, he lot, wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. He's not wrong. But I think uh, in the context of how competitive Oregon was and how they looked, um, it wasn't just about better players. I think Oregon looked unprepared, out of sorts. Uh, they had a real hard time just figuring out what they wanted to do. And so moving forward, that is going to be the big question. I think Oregon's got some guys. I don't think they're a bad-looking team athletically at all. But in terms of their scheme and what they're trying to get done and their preparation, they definitely did not look good. And maybe it was just one of those things where you go down there, you're basically playing in Georgia's backyard, playing against the defending national champion. You know, you, you got boat raced, sort of like USC got boat raced against Alabama. And, uh, but we know what that was a prelude to. And it's one of those things that like good coaches, they don't usually get blown out. Good right. coaches very rarely get completely blown out of games. And that game could have been even worse for Oregon from a score standpoint than it was. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a rough game. You know, maybe we see a move down the line at quarterback. You know, Bo Nix right now is the quarterback. Um, I know they got a former five-star sitting on the bench there that uh, there's going to be a lot of push to get him on the field. And maybe they have this sort of resurgence like USC had with Sam Darnold. And you had Max Brown starting. Uh, they get blitzkrieg by Alabama. Uh, they're one and three. And then for the Utah game on the road, they decided to bring in Sam Darnold. And obviously Sam Darnold, nobody had film on him. He's a very good quarterback, comes in, and he kind of saves the season. They get to the Rose Bowl. So that's, I think, um, the hope. Uh, Oregon Ducks are trying to rationalize this this loss right now, um, but it's a pivotal time because they're already, you know, losing some recruits here and there, and certainly USC is taking advantage of their big move and everything that's going to come with that. And so, if Oregon's not a part of that, uh, at the very least, they've got to win football games. And if they're not winning football games, on top of it, um, you know, Phil Knight is getting older. Uh, the Nike influence is, is is probably going to fade quite a bit. Um, if he's not involved there as much as he is now, it's a very pivotal time for for Oregon football. And you think, you know, just two, three years ago, I mean, it was almost the opposite. You know, we're looking at USC like, do they really want to continue to be competitive in pack power five football? Like, do they really want to compete with the likes of Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma? Um, and now it's like the shoe is on the other foot. So it's interesting how quickly things can can change. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is still awful. That hasn't changed. <laughs> that is what it is. Um, I thought Utah played well. I thought Utah looked actually pretty good. That's a very difficult game to go down right. there in the Gainesville into the swamp. And I don't care if, you know, Florida's kind of rebuilding and they're kind of trying to figure themselves out there with uh, Billy Napier. Um, I think they, they, they play well enough. They had a quarterback there that's pretty dynamic, and, and he made a lot of plays. I know Caleb Williams is probably – you know, licking his chops a little bit and, and how Utah failed to be able to really uh, play against him. Um, but, 
yeah, I think that's a difficult place to play, and I think they play valiantly, and I think that's a difficult team for for USC to play matchup-wise because they, they will play big boy football up there in Utah, and Utah at home is a different team than Utah on the road. So um, that's still a heck of a mountain to climb for USC. You know, I don't know if USC is, is quite there yet. Um, to be able to beat Utah. And I think, you know, if you're you're a Trojan fan, you want Utah to win that game. You're hoping Utah is undefeated, they're ranked high, because uh, that's sort of where Utah, you know, that when they are the team that you're trying to chase as the upper dog, um, there's really no such thing as that. I just made that up. I don't think I've ever heard upper dog before. <laughs> upper dog. Upper dog. dog. When, when, like when, up they're, dog. when they're the underdog, I should say, uh, they are more dangerous. You know, it's sort of the Virginia Tech, um, uh, Frank Beamer sort of teams where you just never wanted to play them when they were, you know, low, low ranked, unranked, and you got to play at their house Thursday night. Like, you don't want anything to do with that. And that's sort of like with Utah. When Utah's ranked and everybody's expecting things from them, that's when they tend to not be as good. So losing that game against, the, against Florida, they're going to be probably hungry and they're going to be feeling, you know, a little more like they're underdogs. And, the, 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 you know, depending on how USC plays in the next few games, USC could end up – shoot, they could end up being the favorites in that game. You know, who knows? Everybody's chomping at the bit uh, to say that USC is back. I've already said USC ain't back until they're winning national championships. I think that's nonsense talk. But people yeah, – everybody wants to, you know, be a Nostradamus and say – so. Yeah, everyone wants to be on it first. Yeah. I was first to say they were back after they yeah. smacked Rice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times have we heard Texas is back? And I'm like, Texas That's wasn't really even that, that good when they were back. It's a <laughs> When meme. they were anything, when they had Vince Young. I mean, that was not that long of a dynasty. It wasn't that big of a run. It wasn't like Alabama's run or USC's run uh, or some of these other schools who have had very long runs. Miami, there's some schools that, you know, they, like every year for you know almost 10 years, they were in the national playoff picture or national championship picture if you're going back into the 2000s and the 1990s. And, um, yeah, Texas is kind of was in and out there for a little bit. Um, but it seems like, you know, every time we hear about them and they win some games, it's like, just Texas back. Uh, and unfortunately USC has that rep as well. And I'm sure LSU will probably get that if they're able to get back. I didn't think LSU looked very good. I didn't think Florida State looked very good. <laughs> they think they both sort of look like, you know, mid top 25 teams. Um, they're probably right there with Oregon, you know, just in terms of like, you know, they've got dudes, uh, but they just didn't look very good from, uh, an execution standpoint, you know, you just didn't seem like they tackled all that well, didn't look like they were crisp offensively without Jane Daniels. LSU's probably not in that game, like I said. Um, he was quite the hero for them and, and played uh, as as well as I've seen him play, to be honest with you. I mean, he played really well against Florida State in that game. And I think um, it's going to be interesting to see with LSU fans how much patience they have with Brian Kelly. Uh, um you know, the whole thing with the reporter uh, coming in late and then uh, barking out, you know, I'll show up on time if you win your games. You know, I mean, Brian Kelly kind of, you know, he, he sort of sets himself up for that a little bit with some of the things he said in the offseason and some of the odd sort of um, spectacles moves. made of himself. Yeah. Uh, so that is what it is. But, um, yeah, bunch of bunch of schools out there. And listen, man. There was a lot of California high school football players out there over the Labor Day weekend, man. You know, DJ Ungalale throwing to Bo Collins. And, um, you know, we talked about Jaden Daniels and um, just so many, so many guys that you're like, man, this is just a product of USC being bad. And listen, it's not it's not something new. When when I was coming into the business, 
I mean, actually it was a little bit before that, but you know, about that time, you had so many high school football players from California going to Miami, going to Florida State, going to Tennessee. They were going everywhere but USC. You know, even though UCLA was actually pretty good at that time, UCLA was letting a lot of those top guys slip away. You know, DJ Williams, uh, Travis Johnson, um, just guys like so many guys, you know, Kevin Burnett, Niall Diggs. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of deja vu a little bit back to that point because USC has not been doing their part. Um, but if USC is able to win, uh, you're going to see a lot of those guys, uh, they're just going to stay home. And, and you know, ESPN and the SEC have sort of brainwashed them into, uh, man, I got to go to the SEC to play in the NFL. I got to go to the SEC. Um, but that's one of those things that uh, once USC gets into playing and, you know, the college football playoff and national championship, they'll realize they don't have to go and leave their families um, to be able to play in those big games and win them. I'm probably going to regret adding this little point and maybe it adds 40 more minutes of this, but just very quickly on your comment about, you know, Oregon's result against with Dan Lanning, you know, you said uh, good coaches usually, you know, they're not taking losses like that. It reminds me of the, the time you always point out that Pete Carroll took over in 2001 and that team was very competitive in every game they lost. It was, it was, I believe, every game, every loss was within at least one score. And that kind of reminds me of when uh, Dave Aranda took over Baylor in 2020. They were 2-7. and seven, But just about every game outside of their loss to Oklahoma State at the end of the year, every game was in uh, one score. And that kind of, you know, even when they're quote-unquote bad – they're still being competitive, and obviously that's not what we saw from the Ducks uh, this past weekend. So just interesting thing I just wanted to point out that you have mentioned prior on this podcast. Yeah. Now, sure. now wrapping up, I guess, the whole meat of our uh, podcast where we get into listener questions, we do have some games we're going to hit this weekend. Not as stacked as last week, Gerard, but why don't you let the people know where we'll be at this weekend who, who knows where we'll be at? we haven't even decided that yet i mean well decided, i'm decided i'm decided where i'm going <laughs> los alamitos yeah i mean really there's there's two games to, to talk about that uh you and uh, uh mr spratling are, are gonna go see but um yeah locally southern california it's a it's a much thinner weekend than it was last weekend i mean last weekend was just absolutely stacked and we had people everywhere uh, this weekend is, is almost a bye weekend in terms of you know the good games that you want to go see um, Los Al is, is going to play Servite. Like I said earlier, we'll see if T.A. Cunningham is going to play in that game. Um, it should be a pretty easy win for Los Al. J. Sarah is going to play at Centennial, another Trinity League school coming out to Centennial, which is which is nice to see. So that should be a, a pretty good matchup, actually. Um, but you guys are going up north. Uh, you got to go to the Bay Area right? to cover the Stanford game. And so you're going to kill two boards with one stone. And there's going to be uh, some games that you might be covering. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to go see a guy who looks like he's six foot nine on his uh, highlights that he posts on social media. But I'm going to go see USC offensive line commit Amos Talalele out of Santa Clara when they play uh, Del Mar. You know, every time he posts a clip, it's just him absolutely pancaking guys. So I'm expecting some really fun film. And then Shotgun is going to go up to Grant versus Freedom to get USC's other NorCal offensive line commit, uh, Alani Noah, get some footage of him and talk to him a little bit. So I'm excited to see some big, so the big uglies play up in the in the Bay. 
Yeah, we have the video ISO film of both uh, Brandon Baker and DeAndre Carter uh, from last weekend still to go up on the site. So we'll have, um, you know, them play for play where you get to watch them. You get to watch them, uh, you know, make blocks, uh, miss blocks. Um, one of those things that uh, you don't get to see that so much on television, you know. And so being able to get the uh, the big guys, which are, again, so important for USC here, uh, these uh, next two cycles. Um, we'll see, as you said, with uh, the offensive tackle position for this cycle, if that's something that's um, going to be a portal thing, if it's going to be uh, something they're going to be able to get with uh, maybe jumping back in with one of the 2023 players uh, and get a flip down the line, whatever it is. Uh, but being able to uh, let you guys see you know, what's kind of happening with these guys and sort of how they carry themselves. I don't know. I, I'm always – you know, I, I like to see it myself, to be honest with you. I, I know Greg Biggins always hits me up uh, about the ISO film, and it's just it's a really, you know, a very fair, realistic look at how those players play um, each game. It's not just a bunch of highlights. It's not, oh, you know, hey, you know, this looked good. Um, it's a very specific look, an evaluation look, a look that if you were a college coach, you would want to get, you know, kind of getting an eyeball on them pregame, um, getting to size them up a little bit. And then get him to watch them, you know, every game, uh, regardless of whether the run is, you know, towards their side of the field or not their side of the field. If it's a run or if it's a pass, uh, regardless, and if it's other players, you know, it's it's always big um, to get them. You know, if it's a receiver, you know, what do they do uh, when the ball is thrown away from their side of the field? You know, do they take the play off? Uh, they actually mix it up. You know, what are they doing in uh, you know run blocking? So there's a lot of kind of stuff that goes on that you just don't get to see. During the game, you know, you're trying to watch the game for the game. And so uh, this is sort of a microcosm of what's going on with that particular player. So I'm excited to see a little Alani Noah. Alani Noah is um, – he's a road grader and a half on film, on his huddle film. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of team Freedom is. I don't know what kind of team Del Mar is. Uh, I know Santa Clara is not a very good team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they match up. But I'm expecting big things. Uh, for sure, from both players, it might be um, it might be ISO film that sort of sets the bar. Maybe, maybe I don't know. You know, I, I have high expectations for Amos's uh, ISO film. He is just an absolute menace slash bully to uh, uh, other uh, defense to defensive linemen. So I'm expecting a lot of pancakes. That's all I'll say. That's what I expect. Now let's jump into listener questions. Don't have a ton. But, Gerard, we're right at the, the edge where we might be creeping into Thursday. So let's see. No running out the clock. That's all I want to say. No no stalling out to get into – make it a 24-hour – not a 24-hour, but two-day podcast. Again, if you have questions for us, you can send them to us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite or two-star recruits or Latino guys, cilantro boys, cilantro bros, whatever. Just make sure it's addressed to us so we'll get it. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Gerard, we actually have a voicemail question, which actually I think is a comment. Do you want to start with that one? Yeah, whatever uh, is easiest. Okay, I I hope you can hear it. So, Well, that would be harder if I couldn't. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we're just going to run it, see what happens. Um, this question is for uh, the cilantro bros uh the latin 
USC podcast, the best Latin USC podcast in the country. Um, I wonder if you're as concerned as I am about the defense. Um, I'm really worried about what I saw on Saturday. If they continue to score 21 points every week, there's no way Kim Williams is going to be able to get enough stats during the Heisman. Uh, I'm freaking out about that. Also, you know what's the scariest animal in the jungle? The giraffe can run 35 miles per hour and kick the head off a lion. That's what Eric Gentry is, a giraffe in the middle of the field. Lastly, I almost cried when Solo got that sack. I almost cried. A 38-year-old man with a mortgage, four kids, and a wife. I almost cried. Eddie from Orange. Hurricane, did you hear that? That was fantastic. That was one of the best voicemails we've ever had. And, and I believe that, that was – was that not Alec Baldwin? That left that voicemail. That was definitely not Alec Baldwin. Oh, I don't okay. get. I don't understand the reference. I thought that was the Kyle Dunnigan impression of Alec Baldwin. If if you guys know who Kyle Dunnigan is, if you don't, you go to YouTube and you put in Kyle Dunnigan and uh, put in Alec Baldwin, and he he does a very interesting Alec Baldwin impression impersonation and just the cadence in which that voicemail I, was given. It just I'll I'll look that up I'll while look, I'm waiting for the podcast to upload. Talk over me <laughs> right now, stupid. Okay. Uh, not any questions really in there. No, I'm not concerned about the defense getting multiple pick sixes. Uh, I kind of like the the nickname the giraffe for Eric Gentry, but I'm not sure he'll like it. Oh, 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 I, I, I feel a segue coming on. I feel a segue. It could be a safari segue. Chris, do you see it? Uh, Giraffes? Me. Elephants? Elephants? Oh, wow. I didn't even I didn't even process that, which is funny because you're right. That does lead us into D's second question. <laughs> From the Central Valley. Wow, we're on. We're we're clicking right now. Uh, question to both of you: Why did USC lose Jay Toya? I've heard you guys kind of mention it, but I don't know the story. Well, D, I don't think anyone really knows the full story. You know, we've heard that there was some disagreement. Oh, I know the full so, story. Well, the, well there <laughs> just, you go. I just can't. I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you the full will story. He, will he say on the, certain college coaches under the bus? So I don't want to throw the whole story out there but you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta say the segue because there's probably a lot of people are not gonna get the segue right well as i was leading you know you heard there was uh disagreements with the with the coaches between uh jay toya there's obviously a bunch of tampering charges or allegations that were thrown out mainly by usc fans and maybe behind the scenes to us ucla coaches johnny nansen obviously was his main recruiter for usc uh, when he was a commit for the Trojans, then he went over to UCLA and tried to get him to flip for the Bruins. Uh, and also, there's also the theory that he left because Clay Helton said that he had the biggest head he'd ever seen, basically, and called him and said that his head was an elephant head. He called him an elephant head, which is just like a running joke meme. Uh, 
I wonder if Jay Toya actually ever heard Clay Helton refer to his head as a <laughs> elephant head. I don't know. That'd be like my number one question to ask him if I ever uh, ran into him, assuming he didn't try to fight me in an elevator. But, you know, there is we've talked about this story, but Gerard, I don't know if you want to give you just said you weren't going to give the real reason. But I'm, I'm trying to I, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. And, and, you have, and Chris you have. kind of hit on the elephant most, head, the elephant. Head? Yeah. Elephant man. So, Yeah. He was recruited to USC by Johnny Nansen, and his cousin is still on the team right now, Stanley, Stanley Tapu. And so he committed to USC, Was I, I think he was a freshman going into his sophomore year, and didn't take any official visits, was locked in, a great relationship with Johnny Nansen. Um, Johnny Nansen gets fired. Uh, Jay Toya enrolls at USC that following January and participates in spring ball and everything. Johnny Nansen is cross town over at UCLA. So Johnny had a very good relationship with Jay's folks and had a very good relationship with who handled Jay's recruitment. Now, you know, this is <laughs> during the time of NIL <laughs> sort of starting to get going and what have you. And Jay had not taken any official business, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, uh, the powers that be, who handled his recruitment out of high school um, sort of took things over. Jay moves out of his dorm um, kind of unexpectedly and uh, was not uh, very happy about it. I guess he was a little emotional about it. Nobody really understood what, what was going on because he really didn't talk to anybody. He didn't pick up the phone. USC coaches are like, what the hell happened? He just moved out of the dorm. Some of the other players basically informed them. And um, so you know, they get a hold of, of certain people that are that are controlling things. And, um, you know, he his hand was forced. Let's just say that uh, in terms of leaving USC and ends up at UCLA, still at UCLA. And the sad thing and the ironic thing at the same time is that now Johnny Nansen is not even at UCLA. He's at Arizona as a defensive coordinator. So let that be a lesson to you kids. Don't follow coaches to schools. Uh, but there was definitely more behind the scenes in terms of the pressure being put on him and, you know, uh, uh, certain things, certain arrangements. USC, you know, were, were definitely upset. They said they were going to fight it, but they ended up not fighting it. You know, And, and, and again, you know, Johnny Nansen was a coach at USC. So um, take that for what it's worth. Um, it's, it's a complicated, sad story. And, and certainly one of those things where you see where the kid can be enrolled, playing spring ball, and then boom. He's out, and he played spring ball. You know, he was, he was a guy that think, would have been a starter. Would have probably played, yeah, a, a lot during the year. And and from everything I gather, he was happy. Actually, you know, spoken to him a little bit after the fact. At least I thought I was speaking to him. It was Twitter. You get DMs sometimes. You know, you get uh, handlers and god uncles that are actually running uh, the, the the DMs and the, the social media accounts of those players. So you know, you never really know. It's one of those things where. I was. If there's anything important that we have to break, or there's anything said that could be minute and controversial, um, you got to make sure you get somebody on the phone and you make sure you're actually talking to the right person. Um, people get burned that way with uh, quotes sometimes, but and that's the same thing with text messages even too. Um, but yeah, that. So you know, it, it, like I said, there, there's some some touchy things there, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, and I don't want it to be in the gossiping and 
and um, you know putting allegations out there, what have you. But there are definitely some allegations out there, as Chris said, from USC when it came to um, you know tampering and, and what have you, and and certainly not just it's like hey, you know, if Jay Toya was happy at USC, you know, why didn't he just say, hey man, go kick rocks? I'm I'm good. I don't need to go to UCLA just to to be with Johnny Nansen. It doesn't make sense. It's like if you're happy at USC, then it doesn't really matter if Johnny Nansen's at UCLA or not. There was more going on to it with that. And um, I will say that his family is from Tonga and they moved here. And so that also had something to do with it um, in terms of, you know, where they might be living. I guess I'll hint at that. So it was very, very uh, the, the, the claims and the allegations that I heard. And again, it was pretty one sided, um, you know, uh, when it came to that uh, in terms of sources. I have to you know put that out that it was mostly coming from USC side of things. It did not. It just it just stink, and it was unfortunate. And um, you know, hopefully, he, it, things work out for him at UCLA, and he has a, a, a good career, and he doesn't regret that decision. I, again, I, I his hand was forced, so it wasn't necessarily like he just woke up one morning and said, "You know what? I think I fit in better at UCLA with UCLA's defense because Johnny Nansen is there." That is not what happened. That is not what happened at all. Okay, speaking of NIL, this is another good segue into our next question. Uh, this one comes from Bobby on uh, DM Twitter. Uh, DM on Twitter to me. Uh, I didn't get the full uh, uh, complete question, but basically I have it sort of paraphrased. Why would a USC player not opt into NIL through Boulevard? Uh, and they pointed out that we had mentioned last week that not all the players were opted in yet for uh, the Boulevard and through their NIL. I don't have a great answer for you, but I believe that when you do opt in, I'm assuming you have to sign some sort of contract where you, I don't want to say your rights, but you definitely have um, some restrictions on you and possibly like, I guess if student body right was up and running, I believe you probably couldn't do both. So, I believe, you know, maybe there will be a time when a player has to decide which one they want to, quote unquote, opt into. And, you know, you don't want to opt into one and then you're left out of maybe SBR is offering or has a better deal that other players are getting while you're with Boulevard. That's just purely me. Like, I don't have like the best answer for you, but I believe once you opt in, you have a certain amount of you know, restrictions and you're, I don't want to say you're signing away your rights, but there's, there's, there's a legality around it. Gerard, help me out here. You're no, on, I think you're on the, the right trail. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know for sure either. Cause I don't know the players that are not opted in. Um, Cause you know, obviously the media would just ask like, you know, what, what's your hesitation with Boulevard. But I, I think there's probably going to be some sort of, um, you know, you're, you're linked in with them and there may be something that says that, Hey, you, you can't, you know, get money from another collective or what have you right. when, like you said, maybe that collective uh, could have a better deal because they have a relationship with some company and that particular company says, Hey, you know, we really want to give a lot of money to this guy. I don't know necessarily, uh, what it is. There are potential players that could be in a position where, um, they have, you know, agents already representing mm-hmm. them and they feel like, there's redundancy there with the the branding and, and the things that um, Boulevard does. I, I don't even know what Boulevard necessarily requires 
of the players either through uh, their NIL deals, because there's obviously um, the aspect of, you know, what you have to do as a part of the agreement, you know, the um, um, sort of the limit uh, work or um, engagement, whatever, maybe there's charity work. Cause we know with the student body, right. It's going to be uh, largely centered around uh, charity work, you know, in order to make sure that you're, you're actually doing something uh, for these deals and, and the deals would be um, sort of based around that type of stuff. And so that's, you know, one approach and I, you know, there's, there's a lot of different approaches and there's a lot of, there's still a lot of unknowns about, you know, how does this actually work as a system? And so there might be just some guys that are just waiting around just to kind of see what's what, you know, and, and right. not necessarily getting hooked in. Do they, do they need a Boulevard to help them get NIL deals? I mean, there may be some of those guys that are not part of it that just feel like they don't need to be a part of it. I mean, I would think that would be more along the lines of what would happen uh, maybe later as this begins to evolve and you get guys like Malachi Nelson, as we said, when we talk about him with NIL, um, clutch he's, got sports, his, baby. he's got clutch sports behind him. He doesn't need brand building. Uh, none of that stuff. You know, they're going to go out there and they're going to go find him work. They're going to go find him billboards to be on milk. Well, not maybe milk cartons. You don't want that. No, I like the milk carton idea. I like Malachi. Nelson. If you're on the milk carton, you're missing. You don't want to be missing as a quarterback. Um, that's a meme. So yeah, you know, you, you want to be on TV and you want to be in commercials. You want to be in front of the camera and, um, you know, clutch sports, that's their job is, is to do that. So you don't necessarily need the branding aspects of that. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know monetarily if there's anything here in terms of percentages and what have you, when there's deals made and, and everything, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's sort of unknown too as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's just probably just a matter of kind of letting maybe the dust settle for some of these players just to kind of see what's what, not just jumping on the first thing that's put in front of them. A uh, question from LA Transplant from Diego, not really relevant to the Stanford week, but when you see numbers on USC to the NFL, how do you categorize, categorize guys like Slovis versus Haskins? Does, I believe that's Bobby Haskins, does Bobby Haskins count for Virginia or USC? Does Slovis go towards Pitt or USC? Also, what's up with Carson Tabarucci? Is he on scout team? Well, to answer the first one, it's whoever. It's whatever school is listed when you get drafted. <laughs> they both say he's our guy, you know, whatever works for your numbers. But yes, but it, you, but you know, when like, let's say Bobby Haskins, all Pac-12 guy gets drafted in the fourth round. When they call him up, it's going USC. to be University of Southern California, Bobby Haskins. That's what it's going to be. Same with Slovis. It's going to be Pittsburgh. Uh, Keaton Slovis goes to the Jets, whatever. I don't know. So but, it's, but in terms, but it, you're right. You're, you're right about that. But the NFL during the draft and, you know, that sort of day and, and, and how they recognize it on uh, rosters, that will be uh, where they graduated from 100%. Right. So when you go to NFL roster and uh, you uh, miraculously see Keaton Slovis, um, uh, it's, it's going to say. Uh, Did you say miraculously? Um, I, I don't know. Did you drop an F-bomb a couple, couple, couple podcasts ago? Did you drop, did you drop an F-bomb a couple? Did you drop a miraculous? Um, but um, yeah, you, that, that's the way it'll be. But, 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 but in, in the case of recruiting, <laughs> this is what I mean. You did, the USC will definitely have him as a guy. It's like, he's one of our guys. King, King, King Slovis, you know, he ends up being a pro bowler. Hey, he went to USC, man. He got to start at USC. 
He'll be, he'll, I mean, they, they might even put him on, you know, paraphernalia and, and, and <laughs> they will, paraphernalia. They, will him, they will treat him propaganda. They will treat him as their own. That's just, you know, the, the, the colleges are going to, you know, try to get every number, squeeze everything out of it. And, um, so yeah, and for, if, if Bobby Haskins does well and ends up in the NFL, you can bet Cav- he's Cavalier baby. He was a Cavalier. Yeah, he went to USC for a little bit, whatever. But you know what? We recruited him. We evaluated him. I guarantee you, him. Narduzzi's doing that for Jordan Addison. I can tell you that right now. I mean, he he they basically did that for Jordan Addison before he actually announced he was going to USC. I mean, they were already saying, you know, oh, DeVille. they were already making taking shots at USC. Uh, for that so you can imagine you know they're going to claim him and uh it's it's going to be a salty day on nfl draft day when you know he goes <laughs> in, the, in the first round second round and um you know it, it's not it's not going to say pit but again behind the scenes down the line pit will come will definitely claim him and say look at this is what we did we we, we evaluated him we got him here. We developed him. We did this. We did that. So it's really dependent on what you mean USC to the NFL. If it's USC talking about USC to the NFL, then it's everybody that ever played at USC. If it's the NFL, then, yeah, that's going to be a little bit different. They basically are going to go by uh, who graduated from where. And with Carson, we are not allowed to report on injuries anymore. Uh, but I don't really know if – this is like against the rule, but Carson has still been out since he got here. It's he's still the guy who's out. He is not on scout team. He is just and anybody out. who was sitting in the Coliseum saw him on the sidelines. Right. So, yeah. Not much of a secret there. Also, I don't think anyone's going to listen to this podcast for the full extent on USC staff to try to figure out if I'm giving away injury stuff on this podcast, which I'm not, but they're going to listen to two, two and a half hours plus just to get to this part where I talk about Carson Tabarucci, who was out for uh, Saturday's game, not being on scout team. He is not on scout team. He's not there yet. So, yeah. I and, I, I mean, I read from a fan uh, on the Internet that he had a, his arm in a sling, but I, oh, I don't know. You know, that's just those uh, those pesky fans, you know, showing up to games, seeing things on the sidelines. Got to got to try to eliminate that, don't we? And we have a final trifecta of questions from my guy Giovanni, who uh, had some quick questions and a fun question we're going to end on. Uh, first one, Gerard, how many games will you be attending this year? Uh, all of them. What? Oh. what? Which games? USC games. games. USC games. <laughs> USC games, sir. Well, we have such great access that um, all of them. Okay. <laughs> He's being sarcastic. He will be at none of them. Maybe one, but for the most part, he will be a nut. Maybe Notre Dame, but for the most part, I do not expect him to Somebody be at any game. To throw me a party or something? I, I don't know. I, I think they're just curious. They want to. Suspicious they wanna... of this question. I'm going to ask, where will you I be when you get on campus? Uh, next one, speaking of being on campus, what official what visitors will you park in? What official visitors can we expect to see at games this season? Uh, I'm assuming and these maybe, are some broad ass questions here. Um, <laughs> all of I, them again, I'm again, a, all of limit- them is the answer, Chris. All of them. <laughs> I'm eliminating any sort of like local guys because obviously those guys would be there. Um, but I'd say, obviously, I think Deuce Robinson's obviously going to come out to some games, Rocket LA, Lakers jersey, uh, Tackett Curtis he is a commit, but he took an official visit. He is expected to hit up. 
uh, a game this year. You know, Grant Bucky is not super local, uh, but he will make the drive out to some games. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if the well, no, the question was official visitors, Chris Trevino. You're you're glossing that over with a bunch of unofficial visitors that are local. He wants to know who USC is going to schedule, even though Ta- they only have Ta- one Ta- official visit. Deuce Robinson. Oh, Tackett Curtis is already officially visited Grand USC. Bucky, they all official visited. Yes. So why are you talking about am I, them? Am I, mis- am I misinterpreting the question as what official visitors that have visited will be at games this season? Or are you saying what official visitors are going to take visits during the game? Yes. I think he wants to know who is going to officially visit during the season to see games. That is how I am reading that question. Well, then we don't know. I mean, that's, there's only one bit scheduled, and that's Malachi Coleman, who we're not 100 percent sure that he's going to actually make that official visit yet. We actually got to I, I kind of remind myself to to follow up on that. But I'll remind you right now. Only one, only one scheduled. But like Chris said, Deuce Robinson already. taken. Oh, now you're visit. interpreting my questions. Uh, so, Jacoby Lane, the, I would assume, is going to take one. Yes. Yeah. Jacoby Lane. I, I I think Jacoby Lane and Malachi Crawford yes. are the only two commits that have not taken official visits to USC. Am I correct in that? I believe you are correct. I'm trying to think here. I believe anybody you are. Anybody else in that group? Lane. Yeah. Yeah, those are the only two. Yeah, those are the only two that have not taken official visits to USC yet. So okay, so those are the two commits. Um, we think that Nicholas Harbor is probably going to take an official visit to USC. Um, he basically kind of got four already scheduled. And we talked about this last week. I think we actually went through where he's going, you know, LSU, uh, Michigan, South Carolina, three. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but he's got Maryland in there as well. Um, so he's kind of almost got four. So we anticipate USC's probably, if they're going to get that official visit, which we still think they're going to, uh, it's going to be late, and it could be for that Notre Dame game. The Notre Dame game is going to be the big weekend for them. Um, will they sprinkle in some more official visits up until that point? Again, I think it depends on the game day atmosphere. depends on who they're playing. You know, They don't want to bring in somebody uh, for an official visit from out of state that was just at the – here's a great example. They don't want to bring in Caleb Lamo to USC – 6'5", 285-pound four-star offensive tackle from Gilbert Highland High School in Arizona. He's just in the swamp. He just saw Utah and Florida. Incredible game day environment, right? SEC. Got to see two teams battling out, two big-time opponents, even though Florida wasn't ranked. But Florida, they win that game. So now he's all like, wow, man, Florida, man, that atmosphere, the SEC, big boy football, this is where you go to play in the NFL. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, you're going to bring him in to go see USC play, you know, Arizona State, Washington State. The environment's not going to quite be the same. And now he's making judgments on, well, I mean, is this really big time football? Because, dude, there's, you know, like 50,000 people here and kind of a blowout, kind of boring. So you got to really weigh that. That's, that's where USC is right now. If they can get – you know, their feet off the ground here and get going and win some games. You start packing the Coliseum, some of those night games, you can sneak a couple official visitors in during a game week 
and the, the atmosphere will help you instead of hurt you. And so, and how you play on the field can help you instead of hurt you. So I think that's what we're looking at. But Caleb Lamu is going to be one for sure. Spencer Fano has been real on the fence with USC, whether he's going to take an official visit. That's tough, you know, for USC. I, I think there's a possibility he doesn't take an official visit. Uh, Mateo Ungulele, I think, will take an official visit to USC. Actually, he already know. He already took an official visit. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. confusing me now. Sorry, uh, I, am, I am confusing myself. Um, but um, trying to Caleb, think of anybody else. Roger Caleb Austin, I think, could take an official visit. Could. Uh, Roger Pleasant uh, will. I think yeah. that's a little more of a foregone conclusion that he will take an official visit to USC. Um, trying to think anybody else at the time. I mean, there's going to be like a handful of guys. Really, it's, you know, they made their big move with a lot of these guys during the summer. A lot of the out-of-state guys, particularly, they made a move um, over the summer. And, and, and some of that was, hey, you know what, we want to just kind of um, get – our, our foot in the door with some of these guys or traction guys, as we always talk about, you know, to kind of gain some traction in the recruitment. Um, and other guys they felt good about, they felt like they could close with a guy like Francis Malagoa, uh, the big uh, 6'5", 315 pound off to tackle at IMG, you know, and they weren't able to close on some of those guys. So that's one of those things that, you know, you, you, you kind of take that swing during the summer. Um, you don't have those official visits during the season. I will also point out, however, that in this NIL era, some of these unofficial visits could be official visits. I mean, we saw Mateo Ungulele and a bunch of the St. John Bosco guys visit Ohio State for that Notre Dame game. There's a lot of talk like kids are not taking these trips uh, on their own dime anymore. And part of this can be NIL, you know, where they're, you know, there's some kind of deal here where, you know, they can fly around, they can do this. And whether they just have the money because they have, um, NIL deals like maybe a Malachi Nelson, or there's actually some incentive from a collective to say, Hey, you know, if you want to unofficially visit here, wink, wink, we can get you out here and we can get you, you know, fly out here and get some board for you. And you can, you know, have a hotel room, whatever. So th- there's going to be a little more gray area, I think, when it comes to, uh, what an unofficial visit is from what an official visit used to be. So that's something also, I, I think to keep in mind with this process. Um, but I don't know anybody else that, that jumps out at you that are guys that for sure you think might be taking official visits to USC. You said they jump out to me. Yeah. I mean, any, I'm trying to think of any like top targets, um, that, uh, you know, I mean, really with the offensive line, it, it kind of comes down to Caleb Lamu and uh, maybe Spencer Fano, if they get him. I, I talked about that. I, I think that's a, that's yeah. a little, maybe a little bit of a long shot right now. Um, there's always a potential though, that there's a guy that's committed somewhere else that because he's committed somewhere else, he's laying low. Um, you know, uh, Keon Keeley, the, the big six, six, 235, 340 pound, five-star defensive end from Tampa, Florida, just decommitted from Notre Dame, Florida, Alabama. I think he has another official visit that he just set, maybe LSU. I think in October he's supposed to be maybe taking uh, an official visit. He's another guy that could potentially officially visit USC. The USC is a little bit sort of on the outside looking in, but, you know, he could officially visit. I think that would be another sort of Notre Dame week official visit. So there's those guys that uh, – Possibly the, uh, the that trio of uh, defensive line offers, uh, Elijah Hughes, uh, Sam Green, and then Caleb Bryant. 
Yeah. Out of Mississippi. Line, certainly. Yeah. No, definitely. Those guys, I kind of forgot about those late offers in the defensive line. Those are guys that USC will bring in. But I think the more intriguing guys are obviously going to be the higher rated guys that are committed to a school right now. But somewhere along the line, that school stubs its toe. You know, they, they're having a bad season. All of a sudden, it looks like maybe the coaching staff isn't going to be around next year. That's what a lot of people were thinking, like with Florida State playing, uh, you know, just the season, uh, Mike Norvell could be on the hot seat. And so why that, you know, LSU victory was a big win for them. Uh, because, you know, if they if they stumble and they're not playing very well, maybe USC has a chance to re-recruit Lucas Simmons, uh, the big 6'6", 300-pound offensive tackle from Clearwater, Florida, who, again, has already taken his official visit to USC. But this is just in terms of a context of there's going to be guys that are committed to other schools that are not going to remain committed to other schools. They're going to flip-flop. They're going to look around just based upon the season. We see it every year. The biggest difference this year, at least projecting, is that USC is going to be on the other side of this. They've been take, they've been the ones that other schools have taken advantage of because they've had bad season. You have guys like Mikael Williams, five-star defensive end from Georgia, who's committed to USC over the summer, but then USC crafts down the side of its leg during the season, and that's, you know, all of a sudden that's done, that's gone. So he's not committed anymore. He decommits. Now USC is in a position where potentially they can pick up guys like that, guys that are committed to some of these other schools. And you, you mentioned like Dalen Austin that all of a sudden take a little sneaky official visit during the middle of the year during the season where you got a big game and boom, you're going to be able to get a flip. And, and those are going to be quiet until they pop up at a game because, you know, they're committed to another school. They don't want to create a bunch of drama and they sort of want to basically pull that commitment off like a Band-Aid. And the final question, I didn't expect that question to go for 40 minutes, but here we are. <laughs> the fun question to end this one, we're approaching three hours. Uh, if you had a well, choice we to. Two days now. We get no, two, we're at two days. What it was all about. It was about getting us yeah. to Thursday. Now we Look, can say you, that. You crushed it by like 14 minutes, my man. You didn't really need to do uh, oh. that extra 10 minutes at the end of that 40 minute range. You I didn't really that. need to. You didn't really need to. If you had the choice to run the team out of the tunnel this year, what game would you choose? Also, what would be the fit? Some USC jersey, uh, some some go to the some go the polo route, etc. Obviously, we would never. Actually, you know, maybe if they did invite us, you know, the two hosts of the greatest USC recruiting slash Latin podcast uh, in the world, you know, that could be a reason to bring us out. But I feel like we would have to do it. Uh, for a big game, you know, so I think I, I'd want a hype game. I'd want a night game. You could you could do any night game for me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Notre Dame. I would do it for Fresno. I just want a nice night game that people are excited about. Uh, I guess specifically for this season, you know, uh, let's do uh, let's do Arizona State for me. And I'm probably going a polo route. If I'm being honest, um, if they let me, maybe I'll go shirtless. And just to let it just just to go just to go crazy, you know, sounds like another excuse to get a back tattoo. Sure. Just to show something off. Just to show something off back there. People said I should have got a tramp stamp. Uh, maybe that that's the route I would go for this. Uh, I would be for this season. It'd be, of course, Notre Dame. Right. Of course, it would be Notre Dame. Right. And it would be a USC shirt. Of course. Oh, OK. 
Yeah, that's that's good. Gotta, gotta spread what about the polo? word, man. What about a polo? I have a uscfootball.com polo. So you can go to the polo route. There. You good. I, I was just waiting for you to go another 20 minutes on it, but you don't need to. Out. I've accomplished my mission. There you go. You accomplished your mission. We accomplished the mission that is this podcast. This is the final late night podcast of season one. Uh, just to be clear, the season is not over yet uh, for Composite Two Star Recruits, but I believe this will be our, our last late night for at least a while. Uh, we'll back be back on a regular daytime schedule, as I mentioned at the top of the show, which was four hours ago. But Gerard, uh, anything you want to add as we go into Stanford week? I shouldn't have asked you that, but I just did. No, it's Thursday and the podcast will go up today now. So we have to change <laughs> the tense in which we talk about the podcast in its current form. That is true. Gerard, always thinking ahead. Uh, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. Thank you to our sponsor, uh, Meredith Schlosser. Make sure you go check out her her website. Go uh, buy a house. Go buy a house. Go sell a house, whatever you want. Again, I'm Chris. That's Hurricane. We will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. That leopard sucks. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.